What's up, guys? What's up, everybody? It's been a while, and we're super pumped to be back recording the podcast. And um, this seems to happen better when we're all together. So uh, it's been a while. Uh, apologies for the tardiness or the the, the, the hiatus. Um, we appreciate you guys, and so. We're bringing you this episode from Idaho. We are shooting the NRL Gem State Standoff. Is that correct? The Gem State Standoff. And we have special guest, Mr. Patty Lorenzo. And don't look so weird. You're making it weird, man. <laughs> I'm um, not even looking at you. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, guys, welcome back. And um, for those of you guys who are first-time listeners to the Modern Day Sniper podcast, what is the Modern Day Sniper podcast and what are we about? We are about the journey of the modern-day rifleman, whether you are a professional, a enthusiast, a hunter, or a competitor looking to further your craft or further your skills within your craft. This podcast is for you because just like you guys, we are eternal students in this game of long range shooting, and that's what this podcast is all about. So, with that being said, welcome to the show, Patty. Uh, thanks, Kalen. Uh, I'm glad to be on here. It's uh, good having you guys out here in Idaho. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us at your house, man. Yeah, Appreciate it. absolutely. Anytime you guys are in town, you're, you guys are always welcome. Uh, it was good. I got a chance to go go out to Wyoming and go see Phil this past fall. So yeah. So uh, guys, for those that listen to, um, I don't know if I did a podcast by myself about it, uh, but for those uh, that was following along the journey with my Tika build, I went out on a mule deer hunt uh, that do it yourself, and um, Patty was uh, off that week and reached out to me. He's like, hey, we should catch up. Uh, you got you know you got anything going on and I was like, actually I've got a mule deer going on, on man that uh, I'd love for you to come on and he's like hell yeah so we came up and we didn't fuck around <laughs> we didn't mess around uh, on opening day we we hiked in and got it done by like 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 ten <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty early in the morning I remember that was that was quite a trek in there too uh, funny thing behind that. Uh, Infiltration that we did to get to our pause to take that buck. Uh, uh, my my team leader Philip Vallejo didn't do uh, PCCs <laughs> and PCIs on me, and I left my headlamp at home. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were stepping off at like zero five in the morning, and yeah. I did not have any alum, and so I was basically having to get up up close and personal on Phil's heels. As we were making our, uh, dude, our was, hike was in he there. stepping on your heels? No, no, no. no. Okay. So, so like that fucking... when we stepped off, I was like, "All right, man, I'm not, I'm not in great shape." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not sure how 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 fast you want to try to do this, uh, but because he was on my ass, I felt you're, like you're pushed. I, I was like, I was like, I was like, oh man, I guess I'm I gotta just keep go, I gotta going go slow. <laughs> Honestly, I was just trying to stay alive and not just, trip over anything. You're, listen, like you're both like screwing each other. Right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, and then you're screwed at the end. You're just like, man, why the fuck did you hike so fast? <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah, um, and, and we got to you know uh, the the spot that we wanted to, and I think our our estimated our time distance that we talked about the night before based off of the the terrain we looked at with google maps 
we got to our glassing spot, you know, at a fairly decent time. Yeah, definitely right as the sun was coming up. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that was cool. Uh, before we get any, any further, Patty, let's go ahead and kind of uh, talk about who you are, your, your background a little bit, uh, so that these guys kind of have a idea of uh, who uh, Patrick Lorenzo is. Uh, yeah, so like Phil said, my name's Patrick Lorenzo. Um, uh, Phil and I actually went to sniper school together uh, back in the day, and uh, I was with 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. Uh, he was with 4th Marines, correct? Yep. Um, but yeah, so I did four years in the Marine Corps as a scout sniper. Got out, uh, did the college bit, and ended up contracting. So I contracted for about two years in Kabul, Afghanistan. And then after that, uh, I left contracting because it was getting real rough as far as family life goes. You know, I've got I've got a whole slew of kids. I, I think I got about a half dozen or so. You've got a, little, a beautiful a family less. here, bro. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, but yeah, it, it just got to the point where I didn't want to be away from them anymore, and uh, ended up taking a job in law enforcement, and that was a. That was a good job, but uh, ultimately I kind of wanted something different. I wanted to, I guess, have uh, feel like I was having more of a, a helping hand with people uh, in my career, and so I switched over to the fire service. And so I've been working for the Boise Fire Department for the past uh, year and a half, two years now, and uh, it's been going pretty good for me. So good. Are you? Um you're a paramedic as well, or is that something that... Uh, I am EMT. EMT? So, yeah, all of our firefighters in Boise are uh, EMT at minimum. Cool. Yeah. Is that something that you'd ever want to pursue? Uh, paramedic? Um, I don't think I would. Uh, I think I'd like to focus on being a really good EMT. And then also in the fire department, we have other specialty teams. So... Uh, for me, I'm also a hazmat technician, okay. uh, and so I, I'm on the hazmat team, and so I put on the, the big bubbly suit every now and then when we go and do some training or, you know, if we get some calls for that kind of stuff. It's, they're pretty few and far between as far as the actual calls we get on that kind of stuff, but uh, uh, I think pursuing stuff like that or like a technical rescue, rope rescue, stuff like that, that would, would be, be something cool. very That's interested cool. in. Yeah, the rope work stuff is badass. I enjoy that type of stuff just from climbing. <clears throat> so you got out, but how, how did you get into competitive shooting? Uh, so really, I'm just kind of getting into it. I, uh, I got out, I, when I was going to college, I'd do a match here and a match there. I think I shot the Hyde Cup in like 2012. And then uh, when I was contracting, and when I worked in law enforcement as well, I was kind of on a hiatus. So I had probably a good six years where I was away from the long range shooting stuff. Yeah. And then this past year, you know, 2020, I was planning on getting back into competitive shooting and it turned into kind of a, a crap shoot as far as the pandemic goes, like uh, as far as matches getting canceled and uh, availability of resources, primers, powder, the same struggle that everybody else is dealing with now. So. It's pretty savage right now out there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this year uh, I've shot, I think, two local matches, center fire. Uh, this, this weekend now is my first national match that I've shot in, shoot, it's been been probably a few years since I've shot a national match. But 
I have been doing a lot of 22 shooting lately. Um, cool. Doing the NRL 22 stuff, which has been good. But uh, I'm coming to find that I think that uh, the 22 skills are not wholeheartedly translating to the center fire stuff. You know, you can get away with a lot on a 22 as far as like recoil management yeah. and stuff like that that sure. you cannot get away with on a center fire. You can be fundamentally sound and shoot a 22 reasonably well right but the skills what you're losing is the is the is the post shot process right yeah yep. yeah absolutely and like shooting today um you know i kind of wish that when we were out there the other day that i had sent a few more rounds down range uh just to kind of get the feel for the recoil and you know because i'm still kind of in that that 22 shooting mode and i have a i have a 22 that's built up just like my my center fire rifle so all the ergonomics and everything are very similar the trigger pull everything um however what i noticed uh early today was that i hadn't had that chance to really break it back in and get in center fire mode mm. and that that accounted for definitely a lot of misses it was strange you know shooting uh you know, prone stages where you take that out and it's it's an issue of your fundamentals and making your wind call. I, I did fairly well on those stages, but uh, the positional stages were kind of eating my lunch for the first half of the day until I, I got a little bit of a rhythm with the positional stuff. Yeah, we shot, we shot quite a bit of positional stuff today, which I really enjoyed. Um, uh, not to put you on the spot here, Patty, but uh, just for, for our guys that are listening, you know, one of the one of the things that I remember during my time in the Marine Corps um, was uh, your unit and uh, the story behind your unit and during its time frame was probably one of the most well-respected platoons uh, in that generation um, because of the deployment that you had to uh, Musakala as it's correctly pronounced. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Or... <laughs> Everyone always pronounced it Musakela, right? Yeah. It's actually it's actually incorrect. Um, so, um, you know, the essentially, I guess my question to you is is um, obviously now that you're competing and stuff like that, what are some of the things looking back from your uh, combat deployment to uh, that saying in Providence when you guys did some serious work out there, uh, you know, to now like, I guess. I mean, imagine if you would have been able to compete at a national level a few times and then go over the country, right? What? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you, great question. You pick up so great much question. stuff. I think even just shooting these matches, you know, and and getting with somebody and and asking for the critical feedback uh, that whatever you can take, whatever somebody's willing to uh, lend out to you is is phenomenal. I mean, you get a lot of lesson takeaways from this. Um, Thinking about like <clears throat> that deployment and how I would have fared now. Honestly, I, I think I was a better shooter then. You know, okay. uh, going into that deployment, I had been fairly schooled up. Uh, you know, I had been through Scout Sniper Basic Course. Uh, after that, I went through uh, Urban Sniper Course and uh, tailing on the back end of that, they put us through Aerial Platform. And then I also got Scout Sniper Leaders course, uh, all between my Iraq and Afghanistan deployments. So uh, we were pretty well schooled up. Um, I will say the funny thing, uh, if we're talking about military versus competition scene, 
and I don't think a lot of the general public gets this, but those targets of the competition are a lot fucking smaller, you know? <laughs> yeah. They are, yep. you know, they, they are smaller targets. It's not something that's standardized like you would have on a qualification on a military range. Um, so, I, I still would say that I feel like I was a better shooter at that time, and I'm, I'm still getting my feet back into it now. Um, but I think that even, even looking at it from when I shot matches eight years ago, uh, and shooting matches now, oh, ooh, man, the totally game, game has changed. Totally different. Man, people are fucking good, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I couldn't have imagined, you know, uh, even, I think even being in the military, I, I don't know how well I'd fare, you know, just taking a lead block and coming and, and shooting a match like this. Yeah. You know, yeah. right. That's a good point. I mean, I think what I think what the competitive shooting circuit has done is kind of like give people an opportunity to truly showcase their skills yeah. as a, as a rifleman, right? Yeah, hey, I shoot really well. You said you said it best, Kalen. Is is a competition is a validation of one's training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to I mean, see where you stack amongst your peers of of riflemen. Yeah, and then w what you have to do is just look at it from a completely holistic standpoint and say. All right, man. Well, we need to continuously redefine what's possible with a rifle in the hands of somebody who truly understands how to use it. Because targets are continuously getting smaller, positions are continuously getting more challenging, time limits are continuously getting more challenging, and you know the gear aside, um, it's we're just getting we're, the the limits are being consistently pushed to to say, hey dude, like clearly that guy's got it figured out over there, right? That's possible. So now like, okay, well that's my baseline, that's my standard, that's what's now possible. So let's go chase after that. And then it just continues to evolve. I mean, look at going to Jacob's place, right? Going to Jacob's place. 1997, there's pictures, you know, of Jacob when it's clearly 1997. I love it, Jacob, <laughs> but it's fucking 1997, bro. Um, but he's killing pigs at 1,560 yards with 300 wind a 300 wind mag. mag, and he's doing it with intention. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm just trying this shit out. Like he's like, hey, I'm going to go kill that pig, and it's 50, oh, okay, it's 1,567 yards. I need this many minutes, you know, for elevation, and let's make a wind call based upon like what he knew at that time of how to read and interpret wind. That was 1997, right? Yeah. So the, I, we, I tell students all the time, it's like the bridge, there was no bridge between the civilian shooting community and the military community. That right. bridge, that, there was no bridge that was non-existent. Like the, the bench rest community, the, nat, like the high power community, um, those folks knew what the fuck they were talking about. Oh, absolutely. But the, but the correlation of knowledge just never transpired. And if it did transpire, it was to a very, very small group of people. And obviously, we're not in the, we weren't in the information age, right? So it's not like you can fucking email your buddy. Mm -hmm. You know, that would require, you know, uh, facts or like, like you would have to have something so revolutionary that you'd want to tell everybody to go through the effort of telling everybody, right? So... I think a lot of that is, you know, due to part of the information age that we're in right now, the ease of communication, like with which we can communicate with our customers. We talk to our customers 
on like eight fucking platforms, right? But uh, looking back, like we were just talking before the sh- before the podcast about like I was 14 years old trying to figure this shit out, and I would try to hit a pie plate, and if I could do it 10 times at 400 yards, it was like, all right, cool, let's move back 100 yards and see if I can do it 10 more times, and how what adjustments do I need to make to get that to hit, and then once I do that, can I make it happen again? Mm-hmm. Right. If I go say, you know what, today I want to go shoot at 500 yards. Can I hit that pie plate the same today that I was able to do two weeks ago? Yeah. Right. And so that is the progression of this whole thing. And like, I mean, saying, yeah, like there's dudes that are really fucking good with a rifle out there. And that's just how we advance. That's how we continuously push the envelope and come up with what we have right now. <laughs> so um, Patty just stepped out but you know, what, what I was going to say and I'll wait to ask this question when Patty gets back um, but uh, you know when, when Patty and I went through cyber school and even Kayla when you went through school you know we didn't have uh, ballistic calculators that were like on your phone I mean smartphones were I mean they were a thing like I had the first iPhone when I went through school the first time uh, in 09 uh, but like ballistic programs and stuff like that on your iPhone were like not existent. And I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have the information to know to read a ballistic chart. I just knew the dopes that were given to me from my seniors from, right? right? And I didn't know the why behind it. Like what information in terms of like muzzle velocity, atmospherics. Yeah, what do you, what do I need to feed this thing to make it work? Right, like what, well, uh, the why behind the numbers, Mm -hmm. right? It's just like, hey, it works. Memorize it and shut the fuck up. Yeah. Stop <laughs> don't, asking don't, don't questions. ask questions. Right? And it, will, it goes back to that, that instructor thing, right? Where though, even if I probably would have asked some of my instructors, I wouldn't say the instructors that I had um, at cyber school, but maybe like my seniors, right? The guys that were just really regurgitating information, they probably wouldn't have given me a, a, a solid answer in terms of what, why those numbers came about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, of 300 being 1.3 you know mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that you know we had these things like uh, calc in place right oh in, the case, in the case that you're a thousand two thousand feet above sea uh, above your natural dope and maybe you're 70 or 80 degrees hotter whatever the case might be right you were told to come down x amount of mils <laughs> from your dope that you have memorized in your oh, head because of this dude we were told 20 every 20 degrees plus or minus 20 degrees equal one minute one minute yeah. one minute yeah. <laughs> it's yep. just like yeah. so we would do calcum place at urban sniper and like you'd miss a fucking t-box shot at like 400 yards yeah. and you would just be like this is wrong like this does not make any sense well so that same train of thought even what 17, 15, 17, 18 years later, right, when, when you went through Urban, it's still being carried around today because like, like I said yesterday when I was at that little uh, side match, one of, the, one of the guys I was shooting with was like four tenths high at 300 and then one of the guys was like, what's the temperature? What's the temperature? Did it, I mean, it changed from yesterday. I'm like, dude, no way. Like, yeah. even though that, like we jumped 20 degrees from this morning at 300 yards, there's no way that you're going to come up that's, toward it. There's, there's, that's why we do that in class. Yeah, we, that's... Yeah. We do that so that way we can show students. Well, that's why modern-day sniper exists, honestly. Exactly. 
Exactly. We, I, I take out, I take them, I have them take their computer programs out. I'm like, hey, all right, so what's your drop in inches at this current elevation right now with this temperature, right? And they write it down and I make them do it in inches so that way they can see, like mills, tenths of mills is kind of hard for people to truly grasp, like how much is a tenth of a mill. And that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's of no consequence. Like I don't need to know how much two tenths of a mill is at fucking 890 yards. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. But when it comes to getting people to understand like what uh, factors in the environment actually truly matter with your trajectory, you have to make them do it. You have to make them pull the numbers out of the computer program, write it down to say, oh shit, man, for a 30 degree temperature swing, it's like two and a half inches. It's like, Okay, cool. Can you shoot inside two and a half inches at 900 yards? And they're like, yeah. They're like, no. Well, no, I can't. I'm like, you're right. I can't. So stop. None of that shit is a factor. That is not the reason you're missing targets. So stop thinking of that it is. So, okay, great question. So what, what I was going to ask Patty um, was, you know, during your combat deployment, what were the things that made you guys unsuccessful in some of the shots you took? Because, um, you know, it, it, Hollywood always, you know, makes it, glorifies being a sniper, right? Every shot that we take, you know, we fucking kill everybody. A dead right? body occurs. Yeah, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen, you know. And, that doesn't happen. And, yeah. Um, so, I, I would say some of the stuff, like, I, I can specifically remember uh, not taking one shot, and it was... Uh, a gentleman that was firing uh, upon one of the squads that we were supporting, and he was firing a PKM from about 500 yards away, and uh, we were kind of pinned down at a canal bank, and I'm like, that looks like it's about 500 yards. And so from the canal bank, you know, I've got my rifle on its bipods, um, you know, I've got decent rear support, and I kind of hesitated, and I was like, let me double check that. And I pulled out my rangefinder and I clicked it and I could remember seeing muzzle flashes going as I'm ranging this guy. <clears throat> and I dropped my rangefinder and I get behind my gun just in time to see his uh, barrel pointing upward and getting behind the wall. And I never saw him again. And it was one of those things where if I had kind of gone with my gut instinct, you know, yeah. this is a situation where I need to just send it. Um, yeah, man. Uh, other other stuff um, I would say that was an issue you know honestly I think that rifle balance is a big deal like that's something that we never discussed a whole lot and and when I was in uh, we were just breaking into a lot of sling work um, and you know as marine snipers we were pretty good with sling work but I don't think we were as good with like rifle balance and you know, getting rid of your wobble zone. Were you guys putting uh, two-point slings on the 40s, or were, were you guys still, were we still around the leather slings that were issued? <laughs> no, we, we had no leather slings. Uh, Not looping up, bro. No. Uh, we, <laughs> no, we weren't on the rifle range. Uh, no, we had the, uh, what is it, tactical innovations? Oh, uh, the quick cuff. The quick yeah. cuff. Yeah. But we, we tossed the quick cuff and yeah. just carabinered it, and... Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, from, you're talking about shooting from tripods? 
Uh, no, even just throwing it up on a barricade. Got it. Uh, getting it up there, carabiner in, and then pull a slack out of the sling. Yep, lock um, it in. You could get pretty secure with that, and yeah. that's not something that's I, I'd say is common practice amongst most shooters nowadays. Yeah. But I think for the environment that we were in, it was it was a pretty quick way to do business. You know. Yeah. But like you said, rifle balance wasn't a wasn't a thing. No, right? it was. Just, yeah, yeah, we never discussed that. Nobody understood it. And, and again, this was uh, 09, 2010 time frame yeah. for, for our listeners that are listening. You know your deployment, so it's like look at the evolution of techniques on on, on shooting. And, and my next question to you, uh, Patty, is what kind of rear support or 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 support did you have for that rifle? What were you using for hard on soft contact? Oh gosh, uh, if any. For rear support or or just just anything that is a perfect segment it's awesome uh so most of the time i would say you know you, you talked about like the sexy hollywood sniper type stuff you know guy laying in the prone saying some weird shit on the radio and you know take the shot uh <laughs> i think that i probably only ever took maybe one shot out of the prone uh i would be willing to say that 95% of my shots were either kneeling or standing off a wall of some sort. Yeah. Um, it's the easiest position to adopt. Yes, in absolutely. A, in a dynamic environment yeah. where I have to be able to shoot, move, and communicate at the yeah. same time. And the, the area that we were in, too, Sangin, is uh, a lot of people think of Afghanistan, they either think deserts or they think of mountains. Uh, this was not that. So Sangin is in the Helmand province. And it's right along the Helmand River, what they call the Green Zone. And it's basically an entire network of canals and farming. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got, you've got uh, crops of watermelon, squashes, uh, tons of cornfields, uh, marijuana fields. Like most of the vegetation there, uh, I would say by midsummer, was over six foot tall. And so to think that you could get a shot out of the prone to do anything like that was you're just not going to get it unless the stars aligned just perfectly for you or you're in an elevated position somewhere yeah on a rooftop which those also suck i think i did the math right before i left singing and i had been shot at on 80 83 percent of the rooftops that i yeah. had stepped onto mm -hmm. so it was never a good time like doing overwatch from a rooftop because uh, the building construction of those places over there too, uh, they didn't have lips around the rooftops. Like if you think of modern construction, um, most buildings that have a flat or a graded uh, rooftop, most of them have facades. Uh, there was enough that there. Parapet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something uh, that's gonna give you a little bit of cover, at least concealment. Uh, most of these that we were in, you might have like a eight inch parapet, not enough to cover you in the prone position. Uh, so prone shots were really not something you'd ever really get a chance to do. Um, but we were there and we, we made it work for us. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about our unit when we went over there is that uh, our commanding officer was all about uh, quality over quantity and so we left we we stepped off with a very small platoon of scout snipers I think we had 16 when we deployed um, 
at one point we were down to like 10 Marines between um, wounded and, and losing a Marine. Um, but it was good though, because everybody that you had within that sniper platoon was very well squared away. It was, it was somebody that you knew you could depend on and they were there to complete the same mission as you were. So This is why we run screeners. Yep. And why it's important for us to do those indoctrinations to see who who's got what it takes, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, dude, that's that's awesome, and, and we appreciate you sharing yeah. sharing your story. Uh, you know, like like I said, I've got nothing but the highest and utmost respect for you, Patty, uh, because of you know, again, uh, with 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 uh you know Kalen and i being in the limelight of, in terms of modern day sniper you know there's a lot of snipers that we know Kalen and i uh that we we hold in the highest regard that are just you know oh hell yeah oh, silent yeah. professionals silent a lot warriors. of dudes out there for sure right yeah. and yeah. and um it's cool to 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 get some of these stories out to our listeners to to just say like hey you know, yeah like what you see in hollywood is fucking trash you know, yeah, yeah. What you what you've heard in the past about snipers crawling through the fucking NBA is fucking trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I like the fact that you're that you're now in a position where you can like look and, and evaluate the the differences between then and now. Yeah, um, and then be able to apply it. Yeah, in, in this regard, this modern regard, something that like a a, a new piece of gear. Uh, talking let's go back to talking about like taking shots from the prone the balance point on a rifle we were we were afraid meaning afraid as in like taught that it was a bad thing to rest the rifle with any type of hard on hard contact so we would shy away from those opportunities to rest the rifle on something firm and solid like and you know like everybody's you know you exposed yourself through a windowsill it's like dude if you're gonna shoot somebody, like you have to, exp like there's a certain level of exposure that you have to understand is, is required to make that shit happen. Yeah. So we would forego, um, we would forego utilizing those supports because a we didn't have anything that was easily or readily accessible to act as like a buffer between the hard on hard contact. Like I didn't carry around the fucking sand sock. Like, right. I had 70 pounds of shit on my body, mm -hmm. most of which was there to keep me alive in the event that I got shot, right? So then we're like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So what else can we do? And we started to use really creative methods with bipods, like trying to push forward with the bipods. You'd extend the legs of the bipods mm -hmm. and like push forward into stuff. And the forward load would give you the stability, even though the, the center of gravity and the weight and balance was all fucked up because of where the bipods were. But we still mitigated that and utilized that as a technique for engaging targets to within a really, really good degree of accuracy, provided what you were pushing up against was strong enough to withstand it. And But now we're looking at it and we're like, hey, I got a mini pint-sized game changer with Git Light Fill that's wax canvas. If I was still in the Marine Corps as a as a as a operational sniper, every fucking sniper in my platoon would have one in their rocket. Oh, absolutely. Period. It weighs seven ounces, right? And the ability for me to get stable off of that in such a wide multitude of positions 
that is that is effective. I'm not talking about taking giant pump pillows, but like that particular bag is pretty much the most effective bag I've ever come across. Uh, a couple things that before we forget, because I do want to talk about uh, Patty, your your uh, rifle setup for these guys to, to listen. But uh, before that, name the, the items uh, that were no more than an arm's reach away um, from your bolt from your bolt gun. Well, uh, I shot my bolt gun uh, maybe once while I was in singing. And the only reason I shot it was because there was a firefight that had broken out just outside our patrol base and I couldn't get PID, positive identification, on anybody to take a shot at. And so I shot the uh, nearest mosque speakers because I was tired of them waking me up at 3 a.m. But primarily I carried the Mark 11. Uh, So as far as gear that I carried on my Mark 11, uh, like he knew when you were stepping off the wire, like I, I, this is gonna be, yeah, no more than yeah, an arm's length away from my my Mark 11 or your Mark 11. So stuff that I had, uh, the stuff that I had, you know, I we honestly didn't carry a lot of gear. So when we were moving from, we went from Delaram in Afghanistan. Uh, and we did a big convoy into Sangin, and they told us to pack all our stuff, and we're gonna put it in a Connex box, and that Connex box is gonna be delivered to Sangin, and you guys will get all your gear. And so, everything else went inside of a, uh, basically like a three-day pack. And so we had our one set of camouflage uniform, um, we had our water purification kits, we had all of our ammunition, um, and I, I will say that the one thing that I did carry very near and dear to me on that deployment was my PLRF, my pocket laser rangefinder. And that set uh, absolutely as close as I could get it to my eye. So it was front and center on my plate carrier. Um, I also don't have very good eyeballs. And <clears throat> I think I probably would have had a little bit more success had I you know, had contact lenses or even worn glasses. But at the time, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, we always talked about, you know, the shine outline, contrast the background, stuff like that. So I was always very hesitant to be wearing eye protection, uh, you know, going out on patrol or doing a mission. Um, but definitely the pocket laser rangefinder and the carabiner and the sling were essential pieces of gear. I also kept tape to my butt stock. And this is kind of funny too. Uh, so I had all my dopes uh, in 20, 25 yard increments taped to my butt stocks. Um, I don't know if I ever looked at them though. Back then, I was pretty well squared away as far as having all my dopes memorized. Yeah, because at Urban, right? You have to memorize your dopes in Urban. Yeah, so at Urban Sniper Course, you, I don't remember if it was 10 or 20 <coughs> year increments, but basically, you write out all of your dopes from your data book uh, from 100 to 1,000 yards. You turn it into your instructors, and that's basically your baseline data for your gun. And at the end of the week, you get tested on that. And they basically give you a blank data card, and you have to fill in what your dope is, and it has to match what you gave them uh, previously that week. Um, 
So that's with, legit. Yeah, that's with, legit. Oh, it's, it's absolutely great because you, you get to know your gun inside and out, like your specific gun. Um, and this is before King Kestrels. But I also <clears throat> thought about this. So the farthest shot that I I took while I was in Sangin was 1,068 meters, and uh, it's another gentleman. Uh, patrolling his neighborhood with an AK during a firefight, you know, doing his neighborhood watch thing. Um, but it, it's funny because uh, I think it's Michael Lilly and Scott Satterley put up that uh, YouTube video on moving targets. So one of the things that I had uh, taped on my dope card on my buttstock was also time of flight. And so that was something that I was doing back then because I... I, I kind of thought that the way that we taught moving targets in the Marine Corps is kind of bullshit. Thank you. Like, you've got a guy walking this direction, and he's moving slow as shit, and you're going to hold this far. It's one of those not thinking outside the box kind of deals. And so, by me having, you know, time of flight on that, you know, if I get a moving target, uh, you know, I can just look at that, see how long it's going to take my bullet to get to the range that he's at. And then while that target's moving, just measure them out in mils, and then that's my lead. Um, it's a percentage. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like so, if your target's moving, you know, three mils per second, right? Then you have <clears throat> you your time of flight, whatever it is, for like five hundred yards. Yep. Whatever your lead is, lead in mils per second, that is just. Multiplied by your time of flight, and there you go. There's your lead in mills, the center mass. Yeah, and that's like I can't agree. I could not agree with that more because the, the way that we were taught is just like you know stair stepping and or like walking in a straight line yeah. with the target up and someone called it cadence in the pit. Yeah, it's Look. like really, <laughs> and so it's you know obviously yeah. the, like the skills of understanding how to like the mechanics of how a moving target works and how to yeah. successfully engage one obviously needs to be put into place, but like now at MASK, uh, the MARSOC Advanced Sniper course, they shoot marathon targets. Oh. Yeah. Good. All of their quals are done on marathon targets, which is badass because those things, dude, those things, I don't know if you've ever seen those things before, but they are fucking cool. It's a robotic target that you can program to do whatever it is that you want it to do. Like if you wanted to get 12 of them and make them work as an infantry squad, you can fucking program them to do that. And then you walk them around the perimeter of the area that you want them to stay in and you program it. it they're bizarre. Like it's, and it's very real. Um, I shot at them when I did a little bit of demonstration thing at SHOT Show a couple years back for, um, uh, for SIG and they had marathon targets for us to shoot at. And it's super realistic. I mean, it's like, oh, that guy's running at me. I need to go shoot him. <laughs> so you know, so yep. um, they do that's all how that it should be. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's the way it needs to be. Um, and so that's how they qualify at mask and and uh, those are they're really expensive. They're like they're like hundred couple hundred thousand dollars a piece. Yeah. For the technology. But it's um for that's that, a great training tool. Well that level of warfighter, you know, being exposed to that, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And eventually hopefully we get to a point where basic level snipers have that opportunity to see what that sight picture looks like from an anatomically correct target that's moving in a very humanistic manner 
Yeah. Right? Not some bullshit, you know, 12 inch wide echo silhouette being marched across the fucking butts. Yeah. You know what I'm So I think it's, it will eventually get there. I bet you we'll eventually get there. It's just going to take time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just recall from uh, my days doing qualifications on like movers and bobbers and stuff like that, and it seemed more like you were training to meet a qual. Yeah, you're checking a box. Then you, <clears throat> right. you know, training, training for efficient. combat. Yeah, yeah. Well, like a bobber, right? A bobber. What's a what's a bobber supposed to train you to do? A bobber's supposed to train you to acquire a sight picture immediately and press the trigger in a limited exposure. Well, how do we train for that now? We train for that now with dot drills. Yeah. You know, we train for that with standards, time standards for dot drills at 100 yards. I mean, going from standing to prone and hitting a one-inch dot in six seconds consistently over and over and over again, mm -hmm. that's reinforcing the same principles, and we're not wasting training time, right? Yeah. Running a, a moving target 800 yeah. yards. So theoretically, if my wing call is appropriate and my dope is good, it doesn't really matter what the distance to the target is. It's something that I tell students all the time. Range of the target is just a number. Mm -hmm. the, aiming, the aiming point on the target at 1,000 and the aiming point at a target at 100 is the same thing. Don't let the range to the target get in your brain. Yeah. Just, sure. another, just another number that you have to account for. Um, That's all good stuff. You know, looking back, especially... Because we, Kalen, you and I were both instructors and we were in charge of facilitating making Marine, not only making Marine snipers, but making sure that they're proficient in marksmanship, right? Um, it, it, it's kind of sad to say, you know, and, and there's a lot of gunners out there and current active duty guys that will agree with me. It's just, it's sad that the uh, program hasn't changed a lot since even when you went through cyber school, Kalen, you know, yeah, the really basic the, course is the, pretty much the same. The thing. only upgrades I would say Tripod from shooting. the from the time yeah. that you went through school, Kalen, then when you taught through when through when um, Patty and I went through school to when I taught school, and that's a fifteen year gap or, or fifteen year span, mm -hmm. is that we qual on tripods. Largely, the, the, everything's pretty much the same. Everything's the same. The same standards. Right? And and you know, with and I'm gonna I'm talk about it. Um, the, the 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 founding of the recon cyber course. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. It's um, fantastic. Right topic. now, in in our in our community, uh, you know, not, and I'm not trying to fucking uh, air out a dirty laundry, but the the course, uh, talking to people that have been around it and stuff like that. I mean the 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 course epitomizes epitomizes change that needs to occur. Right. Right. In terms of what is what needs to happen, and if we want to be the most lethal motherfuckers on the battlefield. Sure. Well, and you know a lot of people a lot of people will scoff at it, and it's and it's unfortunate. And I used to be one of those people. I used to scoff at it too. I'm like, what do these fucking civilians know? And then I went and shot with a bunch of civilians that apparently oh, yeah. knew a fuckload more information oh, yeah. than I did. And I was like, oh, okay, right on. All right, I see you. I'm just, now I, what do I have to do? I have to elevate my level of skill to, to be able to, like, that's what's possible with a rifle. Like, for sure. Clearly I'm deficient in that area, right? And so whether we want to, you know, 
whether we want to attach a bunch of emotion to it and then like turn a blind that's usually what happens you attach emotion to it you turn a blind eye because you don't want it what's back there you know that you're trying to turn a blind eye to it bothers you it bothers you badly and it hurts your ego right and mm -hmm. so you ignore it you're like fuck that that's scary over there i don't want to play with that yeah so that's why we don't see more people in these jobs and i'm calling every one of you guys out i'm calling you all out like get outside your comfort zone you have to or else you don't truly understand what's possible with the rifle and you don't get to go oh well that's a game or you know that's not realistic Hey, a target is a target is a target. Shooting is shooting. Shooting is shooting. If I tell you that you need to hit that 500-yard piece of steel from position A, B, C, D, and E in this, in this amount of time, that dude can do it and you can't and you're a professional, get your shit together, dude. Yeah. Seriously. Like, yeah, get your shit together. That's, that's the funny thing about the Marine Corps, too, is like... <clears throat> it's funny. Pretty much any fucking range brief that you go to on a Marine Corps range, they always brief you your left and right lateral limits. But it's funny. It's, it's almost metaphorical. Like, <laughs> like in everything that you do in the military, you have left and right lateral limits. And so what I've seen with a lot of military guys that transition and get into the competition scene, you know, they eat a lot of humble pie. Some of them go away and they don't want to do it anymore they're like oh shit you know i just got my ass handed to me yep. by you know somebody who's never served which is totally fine with me i'm glad you're saying that because kaylin and i feel like we're almost like a we're always just repeating ourselves when we say that so I'm, I'm glad that you you said that keep going i just oh no i i i honestly i think that's fucking stupid because there's uh Today, I could, I could pick out probably more than half the field shot better than me today. You know, I'm the one who's been trained as a sniper, mm -hmm. as a, you know, Department of State contractor, all this. Um, but there are guys that are talented and they have the passion and they do not limit themselves with those left and right lateral limits that we kind of shrink ourselves into and say, oh, hey, you know, I shot great on this range laws, you know, in the military, or, you know, I got high shooter in sniper school or something like that. You know, uh, once, once again, it's, it's like a totally different level. And that's, I, I'm a huge proponent of the competition scene for, for any guys that are active duty military or reservists or, or anything. Uh, if you're serving, uh, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for you to hone your skills in an environment where you don't have those same left and right lateral limits yeah. that are holding you back. You know, it's interesting, like you say that and you go, okay, well, if you look at it and you say, all right, this guy just, just he, he graduates school or he shot on 117 Alpha, you know, as he went through school and, and you might have a couple of range days scheduled at 117 Alpha for sustainment training before you go on your trip. And then you go on your trip, wherever it is that you're going, and you've literally, before you've gone on that trip, as a long-range shooter, as a precision rifle rifleman, you have literally only seen one environment. You have mm -hmm. seen one set of conditions, one environment. You go to on your trip, wherever it is, you know, you go, and, and that is literally the second environment that you are being forced to shoot in. 
Mm -hmm. right? Or being forced to identify the conditions, interpret the conditions, and then make corrections for said conditions. Every time you go to a rifle match, you're doing that over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again. We're going to a different location. We're identifying a new set of environmental conditions. We're capturing them. We're compensating for them. And we're testing our metal when it comes to wind. Every single new range you shoot in. So I don't know about y'all, but if I knew or if I had that opportunity and my job was still being a military sniper, you can bet your ass I'd be out there shooting at every different location I possibly could to freaking learn more, right? Figure yeah. out like all, if I go to this type of environment based upon my experience shooting a weekend there, I took this, this, and this. Like we were driving home, we were like, hey, so what's two sustainments and what's two need to improve? You get that by going to those different locations and shooting in them. So that way you do yep. build that database of information to pull from in the event that you go on your one of your trips and you're like, oh man, I, I'm, I've seen this condition before. You know, like this is what we can expect here. This is what the wind flows are gonna do. Mm -hmm. You know, like today shooting into those coolies. Yeah, up, up you in, got some terrain affecting your wind. Tons, yep. tons. You know, you got bullet living in clean air for a portion of its flight and then it flies into a bunch of dirty air. Right, so like, what what wind are we trying to compensate for the most? Where is it having the most impact on the bullet's trajectory? And so, every single stage is a new analysis of a new piece of terrain with new information garnered from it. Right, so, like, I I love taking notes. I take super copious notes, and I look back on. Them. I keep all those rain. I keep all those books and throw them in a shoebox, like a Tupperware box, and I look at them. If I ever need like an idea of what I need to do to train and every time I'm down a point or whatever, however many points in the upper right hand corner of the page, I always put the points down. So that way when I'm thumbing through the book, I can see a stage that had like points down. Okay. Let's evaluate that. Look through the notes. What did I struggle with there? So let's add, let's train on that today. Yeah. That's great. Stuff idea. like that. So it keeps everything fresh and and like that's something that you could do as a platoon like if you're if you're a dude then you're in your platoon that's going to matches all the time you can use your range book the same and you can help guide some training the next time you go out and shoot like that's what we see cops do all the time they say to me anyways they're like eh we don't really know what to do when we go train we saw that when yeah. we were in california yeah. I think definitely too. If you're in a leadership position right now, and you're in your in a sniper platoon, whether it's or if you're in any kind of leadership position, whether you're military, law enforcement, sniper, you are doing yourself and your junior members a disservice by not exposing yourself to competition. Especially if you know you go out to training, you're in charge of training, and you're doing the same shit over and over again, right? Like the 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 um, People that we saw when we were at Paula, yep. right? Uh, you know, during our time there, and it was like <laughs> just kind of eavesdropping <laughs> in terms of like what like the instruction was. And you could tell it was one of the senior guys that was uh, was kind of running the show. Mm -hmm. But it was like it was like <sighs> there was no like, structure. There was no structure. No structure. Right? No organization. You know, the, the he was covering the basics, right? He was talking about the basics and stuff like that. But then a lot of it was also just like super outdated right in terms of like in the standing position staying as low as you can 
you know, get, get a nice lean into it and stuff like that. It's like, no, you know, actually, especially, yeah. and, and they were running really right stuff, tripods. It's like, there's no reason to get low if you don't have to, yep. you know? So, and even then, if you have to get low, try to keep your torso vertical. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> exactly. Stuff like that. Exactly. Um, so, no, it's, it's, it's all good stuff. P- Patty, so I want to talk about your rifle build. And we, we actually just talked about before the podcast. You gonna start bagging on my shit? No, no, <laughs> no. I, I, I want, I want to, I, I, because I thought it was like I actually got a video of you, and your your freaking paint job was so sick that like <laughs> you literally like based off of the terrain, like it's it's hard to really like if you have to look to find your rifle because it, <laughs> the camo is 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 the rattle can. Is it is it a Krylon paint job? Yeah. So I. I built that fairly well to spec on an A5. Differences be the barrel, muzzle, chambering. Um, Dude, everything I own is Krylon, bro. Other than that, like, <laughs> like I had the action sent out yeah. to Precision Weapons section in Quantico, and they did some work on the clip slot. Um, oh, that's a clone. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty close. Right on. Uh, when I rebarrel it, I'll I'll do it with 308 Schneider yes. barrel, and it'll be it'll be where it needs to be. I didn't notice it. It's, it's pretty much an A3 clone without uh, in chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor. Yes. That, without a suppressor. What's What's funny about you're, it? You're a heretic, Patty. You're I, a heretic. I know. Uh, <laughs> honestly, if I saw somebody that wasn't a Marine sniper carrying a gun like that, I'd probably I'd probably want to talk with them about it. But, uh, yeah. So I did build it. I mean, it's it's been to Quantico. It's had some work done on it there, and then when I got it all the symbols and everything, I did do the Krylon paint job on it, uh, which I wanted to kind of keep the same theme as what we used while we were in the Marine Corps. So I used whatever items that would be available to us overseas. So it was painted with Krylon. I used a laundry bag. Uh, I think I had some rubber bands in there and some masking tape. And that's that's how my paint job is, and I beat the fuck out of my rifle. I don't care. I love I love seeing you run it today, man. It was it was awesome, and it, it brought me back to you shot really well. Yeah, yeah. It um, does shoot really well. Uh, what kind of modification? What, what extra really well. what extra modification do you have with it that we found is a little bit of a could be hindrance? Uh, are you talking about the Arca? Yeah. Yeah, so one thing that I have noticed, um, and I was talking about having some difficulties with some of the positional stuff, and especially like uh, like tracking the shots afterwards. So the M48-3s and the M48-5s uh, are in a Macmillan A4 stock, and the end on the stock is a very tall stock. And so the bore of the rifle sits quite a ways over uh, whatever you're resting it on. And I also slapped an arc rail on it uh, for competition purposes, which adds probably, you know, another extra quarter inch or so. So adding all that is kind of, uh, I guess it's it's raising up where the bore is in relation to everything. And it's it makes the recoil management probably a little bit more difficult. You're, gonna, you're just experiencing more jump. Yeah, yeah, I get a lot more jump on it, so. You know, someday uh, I'll break down. Actually, uh, I'm planning on shooting PRS this season uh, with a 308 uh, Badger action. Um, and it's not much better because it's an AICS stock, so don't clown on me too much. But uh, that's, hey, that's a, it's, that Badger, that's a 2000 series? 
2013. Yeah, that's a fucking cool action, man. They yeah. did a good job with that. Yeah, I've, I've wanted one for a long time. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's a... Uh, the military law enforcement liaison over at Badger Ordnance. He's actually one of the snipers that relieved me out of Sangin. He's with Fitz Marines. Mr. Gerbs? Yeah. Well, Mr. Gerbs. I put uh, Gerbs through a course in Yakima, Washington, the right after he got back from that trip. Oh, yeah? He, him and, um, he was teaching a pre-sniper, and those guys came out to the ranch that I taught at in eastern Washington cool. in fucking January. It got me out of SHOT Show, which I was too, totally stoked for. I fucking hate SHOT Show. <laughs> but I go to teach this class, and there's like a foot and a half of snow out there, and it's just blowing sideways. We're yeah. trying to shoot angles off this. I mean, the, there's snow you can't see where you're missing. We had a yeah. great time that class. And so that was like uh, Gerber, um, Sherwood, yeah. uh, uh, Sibley. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Jeff Sibley was in there. Um, so a lot of the dudes from 3-5 were, were on that trip and they were in that pre-sniper section that came out to teach. So I would assume that that was him relieving you yeah. on that trip. Yeah, he was um, pretty confident he was on Adbon. So uh, him and I spent a, a decent amount of time together. Um, but yeah, I mean, since getting out, he's always helped out as much as he can. Like I've got a ton of Badger parts on my M40 build. Um, I run Badger scope rings and another, another cool thing too, like, so I did, uh, I try one in the national guard cause there's a sniper section out here. So I did one year in the, the nasty girls and, uh, this past year, you know, I was, I was out of the garden and everything and, uh, our Idaho national guard decided to send a team to the Winston P Wilson cup, which is like a, a national guard, uh, sniper competition. Yep. Familiar. And so they took two guys down there, and uh, one of my buddies from the section, he hit me up. He's like, hey, man, uh, do you think that you'd be able to sweet talk us into getting a slick mount for the competition? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get in touch with, with Gerbs and see, see what he can do. And uh, I hit him up and, like, Right away, he, I mean, personally packed it up, shipped it out to the National Guard section. And that was a big thing, too, because uh, the National Guard section out here, their sniper section is very new. Uh, so they do not have a whole lot of equipment. And so, you know, a company coming out and doing something like that, is, I think, is pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Jordan's such a no great guy. I mean, he's a great just, dude. And, uh, you, can tell that, you can tell that he has, like, the best of intentions and he has the passion behind mm -hmm. what, he, what he's working with or who he's working for and who he's working with. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. Great guy. But, yeah, I, I had wanted a, a Badger action. One of, my, one of my other buddies has been running the Badger action shit for, uh, I'd say, like, eight, maybe ten years. He had a... He had a Started off with a 2008 action and then upgraded to 2013. And I just always kind of had a little bit of a chub for that action. And uh, Uncle Joe Biden gave me a few extra ducats this year. So I <laughs> went out and got Joe. one. Yeah. yeah, man. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped to be able to, to just to meet you and spend some time with you and listen to your stories. And it's cool. It's always, it's always cool. And thank you for your hospitality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, like I said, you guys are crashing my place anytime. 
And I think we'll probably be overlapping in a couple other matches this upcoming season too. Very so cool. we'll yeah. luck squad up. I dig it. Make make like a super crown eating squad. <laughs> <laughs> so from from so tying this back together to talk about like your the experiences. Obviously, we wholeheartedly recommend people to go to competitions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, I think it's super important. And the stuff that you learn, the stuff that you glean from them is, is just undeniable. And today we, got, today we had some pretty savage wins this afternoon. I was surprised how long it held off. I thought that we yeah. were going to get that. I thought we were going to get blasted by like 10 o'clock. It was mm-hmm. scheduled to show up. Yeah. But we definitely moved through the course of fire pretty quick today. I was talking to Philip about that. I was, I was like, man... Two o'clock? Are you serious? Like that was badass. Like we yeah. started it. Started it. First rounds went down range. Probably what? Eight thirty. Yeah, at that eight fifteen. Eight fifteen. It was pretty. There. It was crazy. We, we had a the brief at like seven forty. We walked. Took us twenty minutes to get downhill, and then we were hot. We were shooting. Yeah. And we finished at like one forty five. Yep. Our squad finished. Yeah. And we started at school at at stage one, ended at nine, and to shoot nine stages that was. Pretty bad. Yeah, two minute, two minute part times. Yeah, and we pretty much everybody moved through things pretty quickly. There was no big lags and stuff, but but uh, really well run, really well run uh, event this weekend. Yeah, Seth and Nate did a great job putting together that course of fire. I think, and you can yeah. tell. I mean, Kayla and I put a ma- put on a match, you know. And, and one thing that I, I I respect is is the amount of work that goes into a match, especially with a venue like this. Mm-hmm. having to you know bang in steel posts and stuff like that and and I mean I know at the end of the day it's rewarding you know to host a match and stuff like that and see the, the learning curves but yeah my hat's off to uh, Seth and, and Nate and um, and I was just actually making a post about this in our modern day rifleman network is like I'll always be coming back every year just because it's worth the trip Yeah, it's worth the oh yeah and I, I know you know talking to Seth you know, he's always trying to look for new venues around the area and, and, and stuff like that. And that's that's cool to hear, right? Rather than sticking at the same place every single time, same barricade, same course of fire, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Not to, today once, I did not shoot one target from five different positions. That's true. Right? Yeah. Every had stage targets. had at least two targets. Targets. Yeah, yeah he did. He's Most of my stages, dyslexia. Most of the stages were three, four, and five. Yeah, yeah. Well, three and five. I think it was just one target, one stage that had uh, three or two, right? It was that. Uh, it was two, the rocks. five positions. Yeah, yeah, five positions. That was the only one. Everything else had three. Oh or, yeah, three or four. The flat and the one up on the hill, the 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 dual hangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those are good targets, man. Yeah, but yeah. Mike really, you know, the Mike the Mike Gibson manufacturing MGM targets like they did a really good job with that because most of those swingers um, like if you got something hanging from a cargo strap they kind of spin yeah. and they take forever to slow down that oh. was good to see Travis out there too I hadn't seen Travis in a long freaking time um, Travis maybe, maybe is, since he had a crew cut yeah right yeah the last <laughs> time I did see him I th- he had a crew cut <laughs> yeah I told him his hair was looking glorious today yeah. Makes me want to go watch a NASCAR race. Such a, I mean, another fucking fine example of a good human being right there. Um, well, Patty, we appreciate you coming on, on board. Um, you don't have to stick around if you don't want. I know you got stuff to do. I'm just going to check on some stuff out here. Um, my belt. But, but yeah. 
Uh, I know Kalen and I have some some housekeeping stuff that we want to talk to you guys that are listening about. This is going to be a pretty pretty long and special podcast for you guys since we've been away, and I've enjoyed it so far. I mean, that was a that was oh, an yeah. awesome first hour. Uh, you know, I, I've got nothing but love and respect for for Patty. Uh, and he was actually so uh, we went to cyber school during my first attempt, right? And um, you know, uh, I got dropped from that from that course, unfortunately, um, for showing up late. But um, and, and it, it's just cool to see how how tight knit and close the community is, because even after the fact, you know, he went on and he did his thing and it's very rare that you remember people from your school, especially if they get dropped so early, you know what I mean? And usually if they do get dropped, you know, it's, it's kind of like a bad label. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, he reached out to me and we started talking and I mean, it's just been like, like we were boys. Cool. Off the bat, it's, dude. it's a bummer, man. I wish oh, I would have known that he was here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was here teaching, um, teaching those dudes from 4-3-Con not too long ago. We'd love to have linked up with them. Yeah. So, what's going on, what's going on at Modern Day Sniper lately? Oh man, we've, we've, we've got a lot, we've got a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, we just came back from California. Uh, so we had a successful PR 101 and PR 201 out there. Awesome, awesome crew. Uh, both for both 101 and 201. Uh, I, I would say 201 was super fun because a lot of those guys are uh, the locals, right? That yep. George and the community that he's built out there had some had some pretty decent experience. Yeah, understood what was what. Yep, yep. And, you know, ready to take things to the next step, next level. Yep, and, and all their kits showed, right? Yep, for <laughs> sure, there was some pretty Gucci shit. Yeah, like everybody was everybody was doing the like on that train. Yep, yep. Uh, and you could tell they were serious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's cool, again, because obviously California is my, you know, is where I started in this journey of uh, at the local and club level. And, you know, Kayla, you, you and I talk about this all the time, is that's where it starts. Oh, for right? sure. In, in terms of building that community and in, in, in the growth of the sport um, of long-range shooting is at the, is at the, is at the uh, local level. And that's where you find your mentors that's where you find the people that are going to take you and yeah. be like, hey, this is what you, not what you need to run, but this is what I, you know, they're just going to guide you. Yeah, right? they're going to help you out. Um, and there's not, nothing to say that you can't go to a national level match, but it's just like, you know, if you go to a national level match, you could easily get turned off in terms of like the vibe because everyone is, you know, might be a little bit, you know, too like, Stingy, making or taking themselves too seriously. Taking their too but but it's because it's a national level match, right? A lot of people have invested in stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you go to the local level, and it's it's like it's a completely different atmosphere. Right. Yeah. I mean, like so, uh, a great match experience that I had uh, in Washington was at a new venue called the Lead Farm out there, and I've spoken of it before, um, and obviously y'all left an impression um, because it was extremely well ran. They moved, uh, they moved quite a few shooters through their course of fire, uh, charged a very reasonable fee. We had a great, we had great lunch, right? They served hot sandwiches. Um, challenging course of fire, really cool place to shoot. And it was just like, yeah, you know what? I told, I told them, I said, dude, you guys could run a two day, you guys could run a two day out here. You got the space, totally yeah. got the space. You got the venue, like, 
why not? And I think there's this weird, like, there's this weird kind of um, expectation for a quote-unquote national-level match. You know, like, okay, well, it's a national-level match. That just means that we're here for two days of shooting, and the it's going to draw a certain level of competitor. But a well-ran club match, like, the targets that we, the target sizes we shot today were in no way, shape, or form different than what I shot at the lead farm. You know, it's yeah. the same thing. And that's like, that's just pointing something out, guys, for those of you guys that are out there. For A lot of people have this stigma that, oh, man, it's a national-level match. No, dude, go shoot it. Yeah. Go have fun. Like, yeah. it's the same shit. Like, if you have a really well-run club, the same experience that you have there is going to be at this, at this quote-unquote, national-level event. Right? I mean, that's just my, that's my perspective, yeah. anyways. So what I loved about today uh, in the course of fire that Seth and Nate put together is the target sizes, right? Um, they weren't small at all. Um, and even if we were shooting in, you know, zero wind, you know, he would he would have put the same target sizes up. You know, we've talked, you know, Seth and I talked about this and, uh, you know, he talks about the 80% that make the match. Oh, yeah. Not, not, the Jake, not the Jake Vibberts, not the John Pinches, who are phenomenal shooters, Morgan Kings, but the people that are actually coming out yeah. and, and, and putting uh, money into the, the sport. That's how, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this. When I put my match together, I built it around my shooting style, right? So, well, yeah, that's guys were coming to our match and the winners were getting 70%. So you can only imagine what the it's a rough day mid pack mid pack yeah. yeah. and, and, and bottom guys day. were getting and, it's and like, that's a that's one of those days where it's just like well fuck this I'm not coming back that, I'm, that, I'm that, not gonna that's where that denotate that's where that like that that uh, stigma comes from exactly and that's my failure as a young match director right uh, of, of trying to make it too challenging right and, and obviously it was a, it was it was in the best efforts to make the shooters that came to our match a better rifleman. Well, so, okay, so let's talk about this for a second. Like, the first time I went and shot the Steel Safari, uh, the competition dynamics rounds, that shit is hard. Like, it's a hard match. And you're not going to I'd love do, to shoot one of those. You're not going to do yeah. well at that match unless you have your shit together. Yeah. Like, it's it's equipment management and marksmanship. Period. End of fucking story. Like, if, well, and target detection. Like, if you don't have those three core competencies dialed in and, and like, nailed down you're not going to do well there and, and you're going to get your ass handed to you. But then do better. Like then, yeah. then learn from it and then do better. Like say, okay, like we talked about earlier, clearly this is what is capable with a rifle in the hands of a competent user. So I can either bitch about it and say, that's too hard. Or I can go up my fucking game and come back here with lessons learned and apply them. For sure. What do you think about the, uh, I guess you'd say the, the, the training value and lessons learned shooting a competition dynamics match versus like an NRL or PRS two day match? To it's two. Yeah, it's totally different. Different uh, animals. It's different animals. Um, and like, essentially, what what competition dynamics is based on is just field shooting. Those dudes love to shoot Zach and Ray love to shoot um, uh, my buddy Cody Carroll who's been on our podcast too he's a um, super rad dude uh, he helped out in a lot of a lot of <clears throat> concepts that, that uh, competition dynamics puts into play 
their matches are hard. Their targets are small. They're crafty with making um, making you work for everything. Like they'll put targets in locations that are realistic to where animals could possibly be. Like this is a this is a hunter's match. And when I say yeah. hunters, like we talked about this earlier, it doesn't matter whether I'm hunting four-legged critters or you know two-legged critters. The concepts, the approach, the um, the necessity to manage your equipment, adapt to the conditions, and um, uh, find targets, right? Yeah. And then range them. So they'll put steel like right next to, they'll put steel in front of bushes or in between bushes. Love it. So that way, yeah. if, if you're not going, you know what, I better range that rock right there instead of hitting the target. Because if I range the target, I'm gonna get the bush in front of it or the mm-hmm. bush behind it. And like, that's real. That's fucking real. And the only way that you're going to get that experience is to go out there and do it and just and immerse yourself in that environment. All the stages are blind. You can't see the targets. It's all like you, you roll up. You'd really enjoy it. You roll up and the dude ahead of you is your RO, right? So if you're shooting it first, when you're done, you get scored. You police up all your shit. And then because you already know now where the targets are. Okay. So then I'm in the staging area, way you know down the hill or behind a piece of ju- like a big juniper tree or something, so I can't see. And you're like, "Hey man, Kaylin, you ready? Come on up!" And I walk up the hill with all my shit, and you say, "Hey, there's the shooting position. It's either going to be one position, six targets, or it's going to be two positions, three targets. Here's your left and right lateral limits." Left and right lateral limits, right? And then if they're marked on either uh, yellow spray paint on the on a rock or with engineer tape in a bush. Any questions? No, I'm good. Time starts now. You got five minutes. Locate, range, build a position, and shoot them. One round, hit or miss, move on. It's fucking rad. Yeah. It's like a great, it's a great test. And if you don't have your shit dialed and you don't understand like where all your kit is, the first year I shot it, I, I placed seventh, and I took a little day pack. I took a 10-pound 6.5 Creedmoor, a Proof Research Attack 2, and a carbon fiber barrel stock mm-hmm. of nine yards in 6.5 Creedmoor, and a pair of trekking poles. No tripod, nothing. Oh, it's getting after it. Just huh? getting after it. Yeah. And, and I remember finishing it. It's a three-day event, and I was just like, this is badass. There is, after completing this and being successful as a hunter, there's literally nothing that you could not kill. Yeah. If you could range it and you could make a wing call for it, you can kill it. And that was a great exposure to that. You know, it's a great format. Love it. And I was actually talking about this uh, yesterday with Travis and you is um, the next NRL hunter match that I do. I want to run it and kick. Right, because mm-hmm. all I'm doing is changing the mindset, mindset yep. and perspective that, right, I'm, I'm operating as a sniper, looking for targets, mm-hmm. under time, right, with my battle gear on, right, and and yeah, because it's like, whether you're like four-legged critters, two-legged critters, you know, your approach, it's, a, it's the same, the approach. same exact approach, right, and, and I think, um, the. Uh, that, that's that's one of the biggest things that we try to do at Modern Day Sniper for our listeners is, is just change your mindset, right? When you when you go to a match, and I, I get it, 
there's people that are politically erect and words mean things in terms of like going to a match when you go to a match yeah you're going to a competition but if you're going there to get training value out of it right you set yourself up in terms of expectations for trying to figure mm-hmm. out where you're at mm-hmm. and that's why we when we created the modern day sniper evaluation we wanted to change it from the typical qualification mm-hmm. right because uh, the, the evaluation just shows you where you stack amongst your peers in terms of basic riflemanship with a precision rifle yeah. uh, what we feel at modern day sniper should be a standard for long range shooters yeah you know, it's it's been quite well received too. It's, very well received. It's, it's um and people are successful at it, and the cool thing about the evaluation is that if you're not successful at it, it gives you clear uh, identification of where your points of deficiency are. Yeah, what you things need to, to work on. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's a it's really cool. Um, like I one of the reasons that I don't think about scores. I don't think I don't think that way. That's not the way my brain's wired. So sometimes in the competition space, when it comes to gaming things, to be a quote unquote good competitor, it's it can be. I don't think like that. So I just I take the take it at face value and like okay, you want me to shoot from these three rocks over here and hit that target, that target, that target. All right, cool. Let's do it. Right, like I don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's about the extent of my evaluation of the situation. Which is kind of why I like shooting the competition dynamic stuff. It's just like, hey, there's targets fucking shooting. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of the stuff, you know, Philip's really good at that aspect of it, and we had a, a really good talk on on the scoring system, and like what is a reasonable scoring system, because you know we looked at it from the perspective of like, what do we know? Okay, well we know eighty percent, eighty percent. You have to maintain an eighty percent average, and anything marksmanship related, whether it be academia right. or practical application. There's those left and right lateral limits again. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. well, where the fuck does eighty percent come from? What does that even mean? And do you remember any of your instructors picking up a rifle and shooting with you and setting the standard? I think the only one probably be Tony Paulskill. Yeah. Oh, of course. Why? Tony, yeah. Tony Paulskill would jump in there. Uh, I remember that fucker like picking up an M40 at the 500-yard line and tagging the target. And I'm like, get out of here. But did, but did he do the full course of fire? No, we didn't have any that did the full course of fire. So that's, yeah, yeah so. that's, well, that's what we're doing. So we're going to – we set the bell curve. Yeah. So whatever score we shoot, that's the baseline for – Oh, that's great, yeah. Right? So um, Washington, this last class in Washington – I shot a three oh. I shot Phil's three oh eight, and um, I uh, <laughs> I decided that that was going to be like the standard, right? I was going to shoot. I was going to shoot that rifle, and man, we had we had some pretty spicy winds out there, and I ended up shooting uh, an eighty six or a ninety six out of a hundred possible points. Yeah, and and it was like. That was the standard, you know. That was the bell curve, and yeah. those guys did freaking. They did freaking awesome. They killed it. Um, some of the dude, like there was one guy in class that he showed up and he had only shot forty seven. He was like, "I've shot forty seven rounds out of a rifle. That's my experience." It's like forty seven, forty seven rounds. That's it. Right on, man. Well, guess what? Like you just, you just crushed it. 
and you just freaking crushed it. You did really, really good. Yeah. And he went into it thinking that he wasn't going to be able to do half of what he did, and then he completed the whole thing. So, um, we're glad to be able to put that into into practice, and and not only do it, put it into practice, but like now there's actionable data that's streaming in. We can look at those scores, and we can look at the proficiency level, and, oh, and yeah. see and where the scores are. And then, exactly, it's amazing. And then say, okay, well, you know what? This let's tweak this. Let's look at this. This might need a little bit of adjustment. And so, and then we created um, going back to our roots, right? And and our our tradition, um, because we have now a uh, a scored shoot, right? As it allows us to identify a high shooter for the class. Right over five evaluations. That's what that's what or five events for the for the evaluation, mm-hmm. right? Which is also well received, right? Because again, for the, for guys that are listening at you know in the sniper community at every course um, that's the basic course and all the follow on sniper courses, um, we have a high shooter, mm-hmm. and so one thing we want to yeah. do in modern day sniper is have that and uh, you know um, get those guys that obviously performed above their peers a little something from modern ASAPR. So yeah, it's been it's been very well received yeah. since then. But um, yeah, man, we've we just been busy on the road. Um, we've got a, a few things uh, in, in, in the works. Um, we've had uh, really great uh, reviews this month so far on the uh, modern day uh, subscription service, right? Mm-hmm. So this month we talked, um, for the technical topic that I covered, we talked, uh, Three elements of a good shooting position, and when I when I first did that, and after I watched it, I was like, "Man, this is this is like pretty basic, right?" But I also have to re- remember. But it's not. But it's not right. And, <laughs> yeah. and actually, what was super cool was the feedback that I got from all of the shooters, regardless of skill level, of how many light bulbs turned on, mm-hmm. in terms of why it's important to apply things like bone support, muscle relaxation, when you get into a. Um, off your belly shooting position yeah. even in your belly like how to make adjustments instead of just muscling the rifle that we naturally want to do right, right. when yeah. when when we when we sight in our rifle when we establish our side picture you know um, how to essentially uh, not take any shortcuts with your position to build the most efficient position that you can uh, to maximize stability and recoil management I, I described it to a student this last class as a weather vane Right, so like if you if you have an oncoming wind and then you put the weather vane like at a 90 degree angle perpendicular to the wind and you let it go, what's it gonna do? It's gonna go. It's gonna whip right it's, back. It's gonna yeah. whip right into the wind, right? And then it's gonna kind of oscillate back and forth until it settles itself into position. And then it's gonna like just point directly into the wind, right? That's exactly what an MPA is doing in your shooting position if you let it. Like if you just let if you just let it just settle in, right, and watch the sight picture slow the oscillations will slow down until it's like, okay, that's the true wobble right there. And then then you can work with that. But if you're if you're fucking up your position, your body position so bad that those oscillations are getting worse, that means yeah. you don't have an NBA. That means that you're pushing this thing, you're trying to force it to do what you want it to do, and your body's not with it. Right, you're all torqued up. You're all like, you're all fucked up for lack of a better term. So, since we're on that topic today, since all three of us shot a match, since it's still fresh in our heads, uh, were there any stages that any of us shot where we 
slacked off on our natural point of aim? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there's definitely a couple when when I'm, I'll be the first to admit when time starts running short and I know I still got some work to get done, I'm gonna figure out what I can get away with. Yep. Right. And sometimes I win and sometimes I don't. You know, and it's all based upon like what's the gamble worth to you yeah. at that point in time. You know, what what, what percentage what percentage of your positions that you think that you built that you you know for a fact your natural point of view was solid. Um, because it was it was uh, it was um, it was natural again it's it's um, it's your neural pathways that built and it was unconscious competence at that point. Ninety five percent. Okay. Yeah, 95%. mine was much lower than that. <laughs> mine was definitely lower. Well, this well, goes this goes back to the the twenty two that you you just talked about at the beginning of the podcast. That's a great point because so so what I did in my head like okay so we shot eight stages today right nine, nine. nine stages. All of which were like two of which were twelve rounds. We had two twelve round stages. Twelve round stages. So we have a twelve round stage. So basically, we're shooting ninety five rounds, right? Not we shot ninety four. Yep. We shot ninety four rounds. Okay, so ninety four rounds, and I missed twenty targets. You guys shot ninety four rounds. (laughs) (laughs) I missed twenty targets. I missed twenty shots today. Right. So. I do know that within certainty that of the shots that I missed, at least half of those were due to wind. At least half of those were due to wind conditions. Um, whether uh, it's, it's shut off, turned on, whatever the fuck, whatever whiny, sorry ass excuse I want to try to tell myself, doesn't fucking matter. Half those shots I missed because I pressed the trigger when the wind condition was not right for the hold that I was holding. The other half were fundamental errors on my part, right, that I need to evaluate, right? So that's where I came up with that 95% because that's right in that window of what I shot today in terms of total percentage. Yeah. So yeah, probably 95% of the shots that I took were fundamentally sound and I had a completely manageable sight picture. Yeah. Right. You know, for me, I would say towards the beginning of the day, uh, you know, I talked about trying to get into position and get rid of my wobble and be able to have a, a, a good sight picture and be able to stay on target. That wasn't working out for me very well towards the beginning of the day. The day. Uh, towards the end of the day, you know, I was starting to get back into a little bit of a groove with it, but uh one thing, and, and Phil and I have talked about this these past couple of days. So I'm, I'm shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor uh, underneath my man bun. And uh, so I'm shooting 147 ELDs, and they're going a little over 2,800 foot per second. And I would say any of the newer shooters that are listening to this sort of stuff. Uh, you, oh, you shoot 147s at 28-something? Yeah. Oh, no wonder so, your wind calls are what they are. <laughs> so that's that's a big hurdle that I have to overcome because a lot of the guys, you know, in my squad are all shooting 6 millimeters, 6 BRAs, and I, I do feel like the cartridge that I'm shooting, you know, I've got kind of shitty recoil with it, but uh, it does buck wind very well. And so when I'm hearing guys come off the line, I almost have to like turn off my my ear pro and be like I don't want to listen to anybody. That's why we talk in miles per hour. 
Yes, but we, absolutely. But we didn't talk about miles per hour we didn't today. We didn't miles per hour today. So. <laughs> I know. I was hearing a lot of like, oh, I was holding like 1.6 or I was holding 1.2 and I'm like, I don't want to hear that, you know. But to be fair, to right. be fair, when we do talk about that, I'm correlating it to a wind speed. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Well, it, the only time we really started holding for wind was the last three stages. Yeah, and, last and, three and, stages. and I did, I remember because, right, that it was a long bomb stage, stage eight for us. Um, I did come off and, and talk about it in mile per hour because yeah. I knew it was important for for, for shooters in our squad because I was I was Marshawn was first poor poor girl and then I was I was up next and uh, I knew for the rest of our squad you know it was, it was valuable information to at least give them like hey this is the the mile per hour that I was running to hit the targets that I hit yeah look at it from like a sniper perspective you can bet your ass I'm sharing wind calls right yeah <laughs> yeah be like Absolutely. hey Hey, three and a half. Yeah, yeah. But that that is something I've I've noticed that I've had to kind of try and tune out as if I'm hearing, you know, a guy coming off with a 6 Yeah, you have rating. to. You have um, to because you don't know what everybody's shooting. Yeah. And that's like that's super important and, and a lot of students at classes get wrapped up in that and they and they it causes you to second guess. Mm-hmm. Like what your true gut instinct is and I think that's the worst possible thing that you can do when you're learning how to read wind and make your own corrections or make your own calls. Like you literally have to do it on your own. Like yeah. once you receive the instruction, right? Once you understand, like, hey, this is how I establish a value. This is how I establish a wind speed. This is how from those from those two data points. This is how I derive a correction. Now, dude, you just put the rubber to the road and go out there and shoot and learn. That's yeah. really the way it's got to be. Um, and so, in order to do that, though, you have to be making your own calls. You can't be relying on anything else, and that's kind of challenging when, when you're shooting a cartridge. Yeah, it's different, so different from everybody else's. Yeah, and yeah, you're you're obviously listening to the feedback that they're giving you coming off the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the miles per hour getting somebody to tell you miles per hour is great. It just kind of sucks when they're like, oh yeah, I was holding like one point four, and you're like, fuck, what are they shooting? You know, and then you get on the line, and you're like, hmm. Man, now I'm kind of point nine. Kind of second guessing <laughs> what we got going he, he on here. Saying, guess what happened, right? He was, he was. I go, what's, what are you going to open up with? Yeah, and we had a chat like, before the stage, and you were like <laughs> one mil, and I was like, what are you shooting over there? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, like I've been going heavy on my wind calls all day, like, uh, and I think it's becoming to be, be, become a bit of an issue, <laughs> so. Nah, uh, just do you. Yeah. Just do you. You, uh, you did really well today, man. You shot really well today. Yeah, I had a, a definitely a lot of crappy stages uh, out front, but there's always tomorrow, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I'll, let me, um, so d- before I lose my train of thought, I was I wanted to talk about the natural point of aim thing. I, I want to admit 95%, I'd say about 95% also, I, I didn't get into a natural point because some of the positions didn't allow me to have a good yeah, natural point of yeah, a lot sure. of a lot of natural a lot of lava rockets we were shooting at again guys for those that are listening Kayla and I gathered a ton of assets for obviously us as instructors but for you know people that follow us uh, and, and it'll just be probably the feed for the next couple the weeks next couple right weeks. just match footage um, but um, yeah so like if it, it, the, I guess the question would be like if you can't get a good natural point of aim, what's next, right? Yep. What what where do we what do we sacrifice? What do we sacrifice, and then what do we 
do to pick up the slack of no natural porn fame? You know, when I first um, started to listen to Cody talk about his supported positions class, he has a he he does he teaches it really uh, unique uh, uniquely as of course Cody would. Um, he talks about supporting supporting your body's points of articulation. That's one of the things that he focuses on very heavily and he utilizes bags to do so or pieces of gear that you would have on your person. Uh, he's coming at it from an operational sniper standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cody's old school man, like that's just the way he is. We resonate real well together. Uh, we work really well together because of that thought process. Um, but what can you get away with? And, and basically you talk about the eight factors common to all positions. In his thought process is like you can let one of these get away, right? Because you might not always have the ability to support your shooting elbow, right? So in the event that happens, what do we do? You make up for it in other areas, right? So how can I support the right hand side of my body now when I can't use my elbow to do it? This is actually now that I'm thinking about it, the first time we've talked about this, Probably. right? Right? Uh, making up what you can't get. As we were forced today, oh, right. Not perfect. every not every position is perfect, right? Right. So, what did we do today uh, to make successful hits? First one, the the kind of the weird position on the mm-hmm. rock where we had where it was, um, my left knee was at ninety degrees. I was kneeling on my left knee, but my right leg I could extend it out at an angle and lock my knee. Bone, bone, right. bone support. Bone support, right? So once I realized, I was like, oh, I was feeling for it, feeling for it, feeling for it, feeling for it. And then I was like, oh, I can lock my knee here. Perfect. This is exactly what I need. Lock it into place, turn the toe inboard, set, watch the side picture, just settle. I'm like, all right, I got this. Boom. Impact. It's So it's like trying to figure out like how to make do with what the fuck you have. It's problem solving your body. Yeah. Exactly. That's really, that's really what you're doing. Which you know? is really where it's important to have body awareness. Like be, being able to be in touch with your body and know what you can and can't do. Yeah. Right? From, yeah. from a mobility standpoint, a flexibility standpoint. I like um, that. Body awareness. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's one, it goes to our one of the considerations when building a supported shooting position is uh, understanding where your center of gravity is at. Knowing where your center of gravity is at. We <laughs> talked about this on the road. Yep is you know when when you started having up and down yeah right we were talking about okay well maybe that is, was a result of uh not getting to the proper kneeling position that you could achieve right right because we're in that you you were in that in between yeah i was having a hard time the height of the the height that the rifle had to be at for me to get behind it was such that i couldn't connect my heels to my ass right and i'm like hunched over my torso is mimicking the angle it would in the prone position, but I have no connection between the torso and the ground. So yeah. I'm on a lever, right? I'm on this. I'm on a lever at the hips, and the hinge. The hips are the hinge, and my spine is that. Is that kind of like it's like a it's like a whip, right? Yeah. So like, um, uh, Cass calls it the the the, uh, the the backlash, right? For every op- for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. I mean, that's just Castaway saying it, but that's obviously somebody else that's super famous in the world of physics. But um, if you move down and you're using muscles, right, and you see the sight, if your upper body moves down, the sight picture goes up, and you're using muscles, that's just gonna fucking get worse. It's just gonna get worse, and you mm-hmm. won't be able to stop it. So we have to be aware that, like, oh, you're using muscle somewhere. Yep. 
tune into your body. I, I do a toes to nose check, figure out where that, where, what muscles are you firing right now? And then how can you like shimmy and scoot your body to get to the point where you don't have to use those muscles to support it? That's the fucking secret sauce in my personal opinion. If this, then that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like we, we talked about this too in a, in our micro processing conversations, you know, um, and I kind of want to, it's cool because I want to also tie this into the what it means to be a good student um, headspace hub that you talked about mm. this month, right? You know, as as Kaylin and I after even after every course or whatever when we're driving back, you know, I'll I'll, I'll throw up a question like, hey, what, you know, what were the, some of the things that, you know, when you're getting into position, what's the very first thing that you fix to try to, you know, when you see your initial wobble zone, right? It's right. Like, Where's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? You know, and. and you know, we talk about a lot of stuff and then we've also talked about, okay, when you press your shot, you recover from your side picture. What's the very first thing that you're looking for? What are you doing to your rifle? Are you driving that reticle back? Or what, all these things that we, you and I talk about. And I think that's, it, it's, it's an honest assessment about, for, for you and I to, to, to talk about, right? So that mm -hmm. obviously we can talk to uh, shooters of that microprocessing, yep. right? And, and, and I realize not a lot of shooters are there, but again, we're, it's what's now capable of, of the shooter to know. Because mm -hmm. before, it's just like, you take a shot, you correct, and then you run with it. Yep. You know, but now we're trying to extrapolate the finer details of that process. Totally. I, I agree, 100%. Um, you're just trying to figure out where, like you said, well, what can you get away with? Like, and then what do I need to do to fix what it is that's, that I can't grab a hold of right now? Yeah. Um, yes. So, Patty, what, what did you, so what was some of your uh, takeaways from today in terms of uh, sustainments and in, uh, improves? Uh, so one thing, I, I started off the day uh, racing the clock, trying to get, you know, empty my magazine. <laughs> So that, that did not work out well for me. Uh, and it's funny too, because uh, traditionally, most guys that I shoot with in the local matches, uh, they'll be like, yeah, he got, he got seven hits, he got eight hits, but he shot seven, eight times, you know? And that's, that's typically uh, how I shoot is, I'll, I'll take my time, I'll get my hits, you know, and hope that speed comes later. It hasn't shown up yet, but uh, that's that's typically how I run stages. And so this morning, I definitely got caught up in that, man, I need to I need to try and get some rounds down range. And I don't know if it's like trying to keep up with you two assholes or what. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there might have been a little bit added pressure there, and it, it caused me to rush a lot of my shots. And so... Towards the end of the day, my focus was more on hey, get back to that that natural state that I'm usually in, and get the rifle set up, get that natural point of aim as best I can, uh, make a good wind call, break the shot, move on to the next target. Um, and so that was definitely my big hindrance early on in the day, and I felt like you know once I got a little bit more comfortable, and maybe got a little bit more case of the buckets. Uh, not, not worry about trying to keep up with you two old hound dogs that uh, you know I could just I could just do me and uh, shoot the course of fire and get my hits. Um, it's the only way. It's, which, that's the only way it can be, dude. 
Yeah, right? and, we can and honestly, I feel much better about, you know, sending seven rounds and getting seven hits than fucking about this. sending ten rounds and getting three hits or four yep. hits because that is, that is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, we had a student, I was just telling Phil, we had a student this last class last week. Um, had, before he showed up, he had fired a whopping 40-something rounds through yep. a fucking rifle. He's like, I literally know nothing. I'm like fantastic you are putty in my hands all you gotta do is listen like just do yeah. what I tell you to do surrender to the process so he goes and he shoots the known distance the known distance course of fire that's like our one of our five parts of evaluation he doesn't do very well because he's trying to search for targets and Phil knows my range targets are hard to find on my range they're super hard to find after one o'clock in the afternoon where the sun is the range faces west so like Everything just turns into a shimmer, right? Mm -hmm. So they're trying to find targets and trying to teach them how to establish reference points because there are reference points on the range. You just have to look for them. So he comes comes to me at the end of that course of fire. He didn't shoot very well, and he's just like, "I think I'm going to set out the set out the known distance or the unknown distance." And I was like, "I go, okay, well, it's fair, but but do you mind asking me asking why 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 do you want to set it out?" And he's like, "Well, I'm really scared." of trying to rush and then instill bad habits by you know knowingly breaking bad shots to try to make the time. I was like, bro, that's fan like fantastic. I appreciate that you've established that connection in your mind. That's awesome. But let's look at it from a different way. What if you only told yourself going into the shoot that I'm I'm only going to reasonably be able to hit 3 targets out of the 5 assigned in the in the allotted time? Okay, cool. Fantastic. Do you have to shoot all five? No, you don't. You literally just started shooting a rifle three days ago. So let's give yourself some credit, number one. Be kind to yourself, number two. And just surrender to the learning process Yeah. at the end of the day. This dude, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm down with that. Sounds like a good idea. He goes in there and shoots a 17 out of 20 points and hits all five targets in the allotted time. But he, if 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 he didn't like shift his mindset, he mm -hmm. would have gone into it, and in he would have not even given himself an opportunity to learn, because yep. he would have said, "Nah, I want to shy away," because there's you know his his monkey brain is telling him you're gonna look like a dick or you're gonna look like an asshole or whatever the case is, and I don't want to do that or I don't want to build bad habits. Nah, man, you just gotta you gotta shift your mindset. You gotta shift how you look at it, and yep. you did freaking great man he just he crushed it I have a confession to make oh, I shit. I emotionally tied myself to an outcome today and it, oh. didn't, it didn't do well you saw it right <laughs> oh I saw it yeah, yeah yeah so uh shot well pretty well today um I was in the dropping single digits um until the last two stages and then long bomb I mean it is what it is I got what I got you know mm -hmm. I, I think for most people that was a decent score but in my head it was just like started to beat myself up and then get to the last stage where mentally, right, I tied myself to the outcome of I'm going to clean this stage. Yeah. Right. And I have to clean this stage in order to stay up there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I knew I was doing pretty well and I was sitting, you know, pretty well with my, with, with my, with my drops. Um, and I just fucking ate shit. <laughs> you and me both, bro. <laughs> but I acted like the the typical guy that you know 
does will bat at a stage and like pussyfoots around, right? It, it, Two butts. It, yeah, and I I, I yeah. did that for like the next for the next five or six minutes. Like people were trying to talk to me, and I was just kind of zoning them out just because I was like in my own head, like you fucking idiot, you know. And then I, I finally snapped out of it. Like, hey man, like get your head out of your ass. Like this is what you're teaching people that listen to you. Like. Don't attach, what Caitlin says, don't attach yourself to the outcome. Man, that's, and we're humans, dude. Oh, yeah. We're humans, man. We're, we are humans. We are, we're emotional beings. Like, it's the facts. Like, it's the truth. Like, like you said, keeping up with you two. There's an emotion attached to that, right? You want to do well, right? So, yeah. And so in our world where we come from, that's where, like, that's one of the things that we're, at least I am anyways, I don't want to speak for Philip, but I'm very passionate about talking about the things that when we were young, nobody wanted, nobody talked about because you didn't want to look like you were soft. Yep. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, the reality of it is, is that if you do talk about it, you will become more, more strong mentally, which is where every time we have a conversation about, Hey, what is the next level? Like how, once the skills are established, what's the next level? How do we go forward? It's your mind. It's your mind. It's converting your mind from associating the outcome to an emotion versus associating the outcome to just a pure data point, which is why I like to take super copious notes. I try to take super, super detailed notes and I give myself some time, right? Yeah. We had a couple guys in our squad that, that they, uh, they weren't too kind to themselves. No, I, man. Like, know, and it's, and it's, it's hard to listen to. It's hard. It's hard it, to listen it, it's to. It's hard in, 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 in you know, one of the things that I was able to find inspiration today with you is you were having some some uh, technical difficulties, right, with uh, some equipment, mm-hmm. right? But you didn't let that stop you. And it, it, it although it's, it's bad in terms of, you know, what, what was actually transpiring, it's also good because of your ability to push through the issue as we captured on video. Sure. You know what I mean? As a, as a great learning moment, right, of, of why it's important to 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 do certain things like immediate action drills, mag re, mag mag hey, changes. Fuck my mag fell out of the goddamn mag <laughs> right? What am I gonna yeah. do about that yeah. right yeah. now? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I still Just, have targets to shoot. Uh, 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 immediately fix the issue. Right. And, Whereas a lot of shooters that we've seen, especially one that was in our squad, they just yeah fucking bitch about it. They berate them. Like yeah, they, they, and they, berate, and they berate, berate themselves or they, yeah. they, they they bitch about it. And they don't understand what they're doing. No. Like, they don't no. understand what they're doing to their psyche. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, um, it's, uh, as I learned more and more about that stuff, as an example, like, I knew, like, I bolted that, I bolted that chassis on the day before I put my happy ass in the truck and drove here to Idaho, right? I knew that I was going to put myself in a position where I'm taking a risk of this not going perfectly. I'm not looking to come here and have everything go perfectly. I'm not looking to come here to win. If it happens because I just so happen to be at that level of flow state that allows me to make that happen, then fucking so be it. Cool. But what am I taking away from this event? I'm taking away actionable training items that we can input into our curriculum yeah. that will help make shooters more proficient. And then tying this back to being a good student is is being a good student. Like you said, we're, we were students today. I thought we were students Absolutely. today. Right? Absolutely. Right. And we're always students. 
but because you and I put ourselves out there, it's because we want to make our students in our community better than they than they know they can be. Right? And, and and identify what's truly capable with a rifle in today's world. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things uh, that uh, you know, I we talk about this, Kaylin, and, and you know, like if it if I win, then it, then then you know you win. But I think there's a there's a certain amount of um, Gear. I don't know if it's gear is the right word, but we've identified that there's certain things about your kit that hinders you from being at the top. No, yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Because but, but, but as we discussed, it's hard for us to blame that specific thing. Can't blame it on performance. Immediately, we're gonna say immediately if there's a miss. The very first person that we're going to blame is ourselves, yep, which absolutely. is what we always teach, mm-hmm. right? But I think seeing your shooting capability and, and, and shooting with you for the last three years, I know there's things that are um, hindering your ability to uh, be at that next take it to the next five percent level of competition. Sure, yeah, and I and I agree with that. Yeah. I understand yeah. that and yeah. I accept that. Like yeah. I was pretty resistant to it for a long time. Yeah. I was just yeah. like, no, yeah. fuck no. no. I won't do it. What do you, what you get like, there's nothing I wrong totally with understand. there's nothing there's nothing wrong with certain things. Well, but but then again, like this is where like my level of stubbornness needs to be exposed yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah, need to make my yeah. own confessions. Yeah. So looking at it from um, like shooting shooting a dasher or a BRA or something to that effect, um, my rifle's only shooting my rifle's shooting the same class weight bullet as Philip and he's shooting a BRA. I'm shooting a six creed more, but even though I'm shooting it, the recoil impulse is different. Like it's different. Definitely. And so it's still higher. It, yeah. Cause so, you've got 38 grains of H4350. Combusting where he's got 32 30. grains of Vargan combusting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's definitely a difference between the two and I will not deny that. Yeah. But what ends up happening is, is, is we start looking at it from the perspective of when I go take, when you take that next step from even a six millimeter Creedmoor to a six BRA, that's a significant step in terms of the post-shot process, the microprocessing time that you that you gain going from even a six Creedmoor shooting a mild 2930, that's my load right now, 2930 with standard deviation of three feet a second. That thing shoots nice and soft um, especially the suppressor, I can pick up that trace at like a half a mil above my horizontal stadia and watch it go all the way in. It's pretty fucking cool. But it's different of a recoil impulse than him. And I can, he has far more time inside that second sight picture to process information. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where that next level is coming from when you go to that cartridge. It has nothing to do with an advantage over wind. It has nothing to do with an advantage over anything other than it's increasing my time to make that tenth mil correction or two tenth mil wind correction that's going to make the difference between a hit and a miss on the follow up shot. Yeah. That's, but then you can take that information, that knowledge of how to do that, and put it into words for a dude that's shooting a 308 or 
you know, something to that effect, right? Yeah. That a warfighter that's should be like, hey, dude, these are the things that you need to be looking for or striving to look for, and let's help you try to identify those because I know what's possible. I guess that makes sense. Yep, yep. Um, no, that's good. And, and I don't want to sit here and, and, and say that, you know, every shooter that jumps into the competition world should immediately go to a 6BRA or 6BRA. No, you don't. Area. Because and you're missing out. You're, miss, you're, you're missing out. You're fucking missing out. You're missing out on being a rifleman. Yep. That's what that's what we're trying. That's, that's exactly what we're trying to build at Modern Day Sniper is precision rifleman. I've said this with Frank Galley before. There's a difference between a precision rifleman and a precision rifle shooter. 100%. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't want to be labeled as a precision rifle shooter. Right. I want to be labeled as a, a precision rifleman. Case in point, the first event that you and I shot together. We both shot a PRC, PRC. At, a, at a PRS match. Was it a PRS? It was a, it was a competition. It was a competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was it was a Rock Lake. It was a Rock, we were shooting in Rock Lake, Washington. Great venue. Yeah. I mean, it's very challenging. Um, Doug has a really good balance of target size out there that's not super meatball, but at the same time, it's not super like, oh my God, this is going to suck. Um, but we decided to shoot with PRCs. It was a springtime match, windy in eastern Washington in the springtime. And it was like, hey, this is the purpose of this particular cartridge. This is the match that should fit this, right? Or this is the weapon that we should be utilizing in these conditions. And I truly don't believe that, you know, that was a hundred and a hundred and thirty some shooters that showed up out there. And I think I shot 17th. I don't know if the PRC hindered my ability to to do well at that match. Yeah. Right? The majority of... <clears throat> I could recover from the re, the process of recoil fast enough to see the bullet hit the target and, in, and, and identify, okay, I might need to come a little bit more rich on the wing call because I'm swinging the plate to the right. But what I lack is the time to truly analyze that that you get from a BRA, a light rate, a light recoiling rifle. But but I don't think I was limited in that match because of the cartridge that I liked to shoot. Yeah, and that was when the PRC was kind of new. Pretty, you know, pretty much. It, it was, was only a couple was, of years out. Year yeah, out it was, so. and it was supposed to be like the next best thing for competition. But after shooting it in a couple competitions, it's it's not. Yeah. Uh, one, your barrel gets too hot. Yep. To, if you're shooting suppressed, you're if like, you're depending on the target target uh, hanging. Right? If it's a hanging target and you whack that some bitch and you're on yeah. time to yeah. hit it again, I was waiting. Oh, yeah. I was waiting more, especially like if we if we would have shot that um remember the the uh, the T post with the, with the big and the small. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, if you you would you would you would have timed out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you would have hit the big it's one with a PRC, on both of them. and the freaking rectangle would have been doing the fucking hairy carry over there for another ten <laughs> seconds trying to wait till it to slow down and yeah. shoot it. Yeah. But you know, it's a it's a it's a great car. I think it's a fun cartridge. So definitely a great hunting cartridge for sure. Um, yeah. And then maybe like a prone ELR, uh, extended long range, extended not, long not, range not 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 extreme long range. range. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference. That's a two thousand yard. Gun, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that did, Scott has talked, but Scott and I have talked about this in the past. You know. Uh, when when people think extreme long range, they think uh, past a thousand yards. But for people that are in the space, really extreme long range is anything past a mile. Yeah, seventeen yeah, sixty. Yeah, I typically think it, of like two thousand yards. Yeah. So extended long range is that thousand to two thousand 
you know, frame where you got you still got some six fives in there that could shoot it, some sevens, right? And, and then when you're when you're talking about extreme long range, you're looking at three seventy five shy tacks, four sixteens, or uh, sorry, four oh eights, four sixteens, stuff like that. So cool, man. This has been a great podcast. It's uh, we're about two hours in. And we've, it's already been two hours. We've, we've covered some some Ooh. great great depth. Um, what's uh, what's what's going to be what's in the, on the horizon in terms of your your professional uh, shooting career, uh, Patty? Uh, you know, so my goal this year, uh, like I said, I'm going to be this will probably be the last match that I'm shooting uh, in the open class for for anything in this year. Um, I'm probably going to be jumping over to the 308 here. Uh, I think there's a, a local club match coming up beginning of May. I'll make that transition back to the 308 and then uh, shoot 308 in the PRS uh, tactical division for the rest of the year. So my goal is to to hit at least three or four matches and get to the PRS finale uh, in that tactical division. And I have noticed, though, uh, I had my 308, so I, I haven't really been shooting a whole lot of 308, I'd say, over the past shit. I stopped contracting in, in 2016, so it's been about five years since I've really been playing around with the 308, and so I took it out a week or two ago, and I realized that uh, I'm, I'm going to have to do a lot more studying uh, on my wind calls, particularly. Uh, because it's definitely not buck and win the same. Um, so catching up on that, like I said, hit three or four PRS matches throughout the season, try to get to the finale, um, see how I do there with that 308. And uh, I think that uh, if I do well enough, you know, eventually I will rechamber and go to one of those six millimeter cartridges. Mm -hmm. uh, I honestly, I, I feel as though I'm still in a stage of infancy with competition shooting um you know uh, we've discussed this before there's a lot of military shooters out there that are you know haha hoorah i'm the i'm the best there ever was because i was a sniper in the military i don't necessarily believe in that like yeah and to be fair i mean military snipers a very small portion of your job is actually marksmanship I mean, if you look at communications equipment alone. Yeah, it's a full-time job. Mission planning, uh, you know, field craft, uh, all, all the operational stuff that goes into that. Like, shooting is a very small portion of it. And that's... Well, then there's the risk versus reward aspect of it. Okay, well, mm -hmm. I'm here. I, I, could, I could shoot these guys, but is that the most tactically sound decision at this point in time in the game? Right, right. So it might not be right. So anytime we, anytime we fire the rifle, we risk compromising our position. Which, yeah, you're done. Which at that yeah. point in time, the the fucking tides have turned, right? And you yep. better have made a good decision based upon the tactical environment. Yeah, because <laughs> you could be asking for something that you don't want. For sure. But yeah, that's I think really my mindset uh, going into this as I'm able to, you know, I've got more time this year than I have had in the past to shoot competitions and so you know I'm just coming out looking to watch guys pick up whatever uh, information that I can you know get on glass whenever I can see what see what uh, other guys are doing pick up on wind calls stuff like that you know uh, 
Phil today, you know, you were helping me out with some of the stuff, you know, little critiques that really started to pay off towards the end of the day. You know, I was, I was shooting like crap basically in the morning. I think I had a good prone stage <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a lot of that positional stuff was really getting to me and, you know, uh, Phil gave me a couple of pointers and was like, Hey, you need to do this. You know, you need to really set that, that forehand in the bag. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, all those things really started to show through and reflect on my score once I started right. implementing those. For sure. And so if I can keep a trajectory like that at every match that I'd go to where I figure out something else and, okay, you know, I'm getting, you know, maybe I'm getting solid sixes on a stage, you know, that's great, you know, probably mediocre right around there. But then pick it up and, you know, consistently get sevens, consistently get eights, consistently sure. get nines. That's that's the trajectory that I'd like to see for myself. You can, you can do that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, 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 it, I always, we keep saying, we just talked about this because like, we're always talking about shit. I'm glad you brought up the small things. Like if I can pick up little things at a match, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes shooters, all they do is they look at their placement in terms of. Uh, being successful at a match getting a better you know percentage or whatever but but I think it's like you said it's it's identifying small little things match to match to match right is what steepens the learning curve mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um, you know and and for me uh, the level that I'm at and trying to get to is the, those micro processing things like plate reads things like getting out of the uh, state of flow yep. Um, mm -hmm. in terms of getting sucked into time and be like okay take a step back what is the wind doing mm -hmm. right rather than just shooting correcting and then running that as as as, as much as uh, 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 as long as i can until the wind changes again right or or looking at it and saying okay well fuck man I, I the wind call that i used equated to this wind speed yeah so like how did i miss Let's go back and look through the spotting scope yep. and figure out like why why I, under why I thought yeah why yeah. I thought it was but it really was this and what is it what are the indicators out there now and like stop talking about it yep. fucking get in the scope yeah. and look yep. at it yep. right yep. like stop talking about oh it's fucking blah, blah. who cares that shit's over with yep. take the data that you just received and figure out use some discovery learning and figure it out yeah That's, I harp on that a lot is you know the aspect of discovery learning to the point where it's like hey man I can teach you it's kind of like stalking right when you're teaching somebody how to stalk the fundamentals of movement the fundamentals of camouflage do this don't do that do this don't do that either now go do it right get the fuck out there and figure it out like fail yeah get busted fail hard understand but then like you have to have teachers that are willing to show you how you failed so hard and not just wear you out and just be like you're a fucking moron. No, you're actually the asshole because you're supposed to be the teacher and you should be teaching me how to be successful at this, right? And that we all know that that doesn't always come from just a two-hour period of instruction and fucking PowerPoint presentation. Like, hey, put some cami paint on, get dirty, show me how to do this. Yeah. Like, Go make some mistakes. And I want to follow you yeah. around the stock lane, bitch. Like, go yeah. get dirty. Show me how to do this. And that's really where, where there, I believe there needs to be a fundamental shift in that mindset. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, even even shooting the match today, uh, you know, 
Phil was throwing me some pointers left and right here. And uh, uh, I think it was a stage where Phil was shooting after me and I really struggled on that stage. Like, uh, I think it was the rock cluster where, you know, you're shooting. Uh, they were all rock clusters. <laughs> they had a lot of rock clusters. <laughs> but it was five positions and you're shooting two targets oh, yeah, for yeah, each yeah. position. And oh, yeah, I remember that one. I went into it with my mindset like, hey, I'm going to get through three all positions. Oh, three positions. Three positions. All, yeah, I got you. And, yeah. you know, if I get three positions and I get solid hits, I'm happy. And uh, my plan <laughs> went out the window. Like, miss. I think I got a hit. And then miss, miss. And I got to the third position. I think I got another hit. And then miss. And then time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. What just happened here? And then uh, Phil, uh, when he was, was putting on the modern day sniper course the other day, I remember him talking about the rifle to shoulder connection. And so uh, I think I had gone first on that one. So I had some time, I was sitting around and uh, I watched Phil go through it and was really analyzing that rifle to shoulder connection. And I saw him set his bag down gets his forehand set up on it, it's balanced. I mean, like, he could walk away from it, go have a cup of coffee, the thing's gonna just sit there, mm -hmm. and it's probably on target too, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but then I watched him shoot, and I watched recoil impulse, and the actual amount of pressure that he had between his shoulder and the rifle, and it was, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, the rifle was recoiling, tapped back a little bit, and he's still on target mm -hmm. all the way through, uh, you know, his follow through and running the bolt. You know, he's got his eyes on the glass and he's still watching it. And I was like, wow. So that's where I need to be at when I'm taking on these positional stages. Yeah. I can't half-ass, uh, you know, building up my position and be like, I'm going to settle for this. Well, it goes back to that. It goes back to the uh, the statement that you made at the beginning of the podcast of a transitioning back from a 22, right? And And so... Um, I'll be honest when I shoot my BRA it takes me probably 50 60 rounds to get recalibrated to a three way agreed right be yeah agreed. because because the, the amount of shortcuts that I can take with that light lighter cartridge mm -hmm. right totally. and and yeah and I think that's what you're experiencing you know and, and maybe it takes I mean if it takes 50 or 60 rounds for me that's I feel like that's still a lot right for a guy that doesn't shoot as much as I do it might it might take a little longer yeah. Right, because you're like, oh, I can I can get away with this, but really I can't. Yeah. You know, and then you, yeah. like, I got lazy today a couple of times. Yeah. I lost that. I lost the the connection to the shoulder, and my my shots were high. I can't yeah. blame that on dope. That's ridiculous. That targets at 500 yards away. I'm shooting a bullet that's going 2,900 feet a second. It would take 800 feet a second to get that bullet to hit four tenths higher, if not more, at 500 yards. We, we talked about it too earlier um, about the, the equipment that you're running. No, no, no offense to our, you know, our, uh, our favorite M40 and the Remington Bagging on my rifle. But, uh, you know, that's uh, gear hindrance, right? Like, because of how the conditions were in terms of the moon dust and getting your action dirty. Did you run dry today? I started off. Okay. Uh, running it dry because yeah. I was anticipating, you know, 35, 40 mile an hour winds. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I had run it a little bit a couple of days ago and 
it was it was gummed up pretty bad yeah. and so i went in <laughs> i went in dry yeah you, well so that's <laughs> and, what that, that's what you were fighting today i noticed and we talked about yeah. this is that you're fighting the fact that the rifle was gumming up uh you, you when you were running the bolt it wasn't it's because you were you have terrible bolt manipulation skills it's because that bolt is getting so hard to operate that now you're you're moving the rifle. Moving the rifle. You're having to reposition it. You're spending two to three seconds to reposition that rifle to where it was originally at. And you're right in time. And now because of the dynamic of this course of fire, right, where you have to, where, where seconds all matter, mm-hmm. two to three seconds over 10 positions or whatever adds up. Ten, two yeah. to three seconds over 10 bolt manipulations is 20 to 30 seconds. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, sure. you know. And that's um, 20 to 30 seconds wasted. Getting, not knocking on your not not knocking on the gear, but it just goes to show that the Remington Seven Hundred is is, you know, back then, yeah, it was great, but also, you know, when you were probably shoot, when we're shooting bad guys, you're not shooting ten to twelve rounds, right. maybe, right, through a bulk bulk gun, right, maybe one, two, three, yeah, and that's it, you know, so it's just a little different different there in terms of um, mm-hmm. equipment management, and, and that's why uh, when people ask like. Well, is it is it worth it to go custom and stuff like that? It's like, hey, you're not gonna know until you actually expose yourself yep. to conditions. You gotta go shoot right? them because people that them. people that you know are on like a, a flat square bay that have no moon dust or anything like that. They're like, oh you're my, say anything my, works my right. Remington 700 will will uh, you know do this if I do my part, right? Yep. Like it'll keep up with the custom matches. No, shut your mouth. <laughs> it won't. It won't. Yeah, I I definitely do notice a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. so um, no, I think I think you did I think you did a great job, and I'm glad you were honest about us to us about like yeah you're probably feeling some pressure uh, being squatted with us, and, and I'm I'm sorry that that was the case because we, yeah man like, we're just here we're shoot. just here to have fun with you. Well, you know, uh, sure shoot. I I think part of that is just me not getting enough rounds down range yeah. uh, in my center fire. You know, I shot. I think it was in January. I shot a match, a local match here, and uh, it was with one of my buddies, Andy. And I was like, "Hey, Andy, I want to squat up with you. I haven't squatted up with you know. I haven't shot a match with you in shit. It's been probably a couple of years." And uh, <clears throat> so I squatted up with Andy, and I didn't realize the crew that he had, <laughs> and it was it was a lot of good shooters. It was like. Paul Dallin, Brian Neese, Morgan King, uh, a lot of really good shooters. And at that point in time, uh, I I shot a pretty good match that time. I think out of our squad, we took we took like five out of the top ten out of about thirty shooters. Um, and so I felt like I was able to rise to the occasion in that and shoot better. You know, uh, obviously I'm not going to compete with. Morgan King, like no, we always like, shoot. We always shoot better when we're shooting with with people that are more proficient than we mm-hmm. are. Always, but it was it was kind of funny though because I specifically remember. Uh, I think it was uh, the the second stage that we shot that day. I think I tied Morgan King. And I'm like, all right, I'm doing all right, and then. We went to what I, I like to call the four posts of death out in Parma, and it's these four by four posts that are set up. So once you can throw a bag on it and basically shoot out of a standing position, and the next one's a little bit shorter, so it's either standing or double kneeling, and the next one's definite double kneeling, and then the last one is like a prone position. And I think I was the first or second shooter to go through it. Uh, everybody was using rear tripod support, so. 
first guy goes through, uh, and it's three targets per post. And so I shot, uh, I started off shooting with just a game changer on top of the post, uh, no tripod for rear support. Although the stage definitely allowed for it. Like you could easily drag a uh, tripod through that course of fire and get all your hits. Um, I whiffed it big time. There was like a bunch of tumbleweeds below the targets. And so I started off with a miss and I just could not tell where I was hitting. Mm -hmm. And I finally connected, I think when I got to the third post and I hit my last two shots and then timed out. And I was like, all right, well, that sucked. That's a two for that stage. And uh, the next guys go through and they all run rear tripod support. And I'm like, yeah, those guys used a tripod on it. Like I didn't use a tripod. I, I did it the fucking man way. And then Morgan King goes up there and he fucking slaps a game changer down on each post. No, no rear support. And he cleans it. And I'm like, I got nothing to say here. Yeah, <laughs> like, I need on. to check myself. Like, that's if, what I'm talking about. You can do it. Out like, what's really possible with a rifle. Yeah. And it's great that there's shooters out there that are able to break those barriers. Because I wouldn't have thought, you know, in a million years. Because it was pretty small targets that we were shooting at. And you had to be moving to get through there. Yeah. And, and he shot excellent that match. I think he dropped, he dropped like one round the entire match. And I was like, all right. Yeah, that's pretty good. But it's great to see guys go out there and shoot like that and get to, uh, you know, visually see that it's possible. You know, you can clean every stage if if you know what you're doing and, you know, you have the situational awareness and you're making your win calls and you're, you're breaking every shot like it absolutely needs to hit the target and you set yourself up for that success. So there's something to be said about visualizations, too. Mm hmm. Like truly being able to visualize what is what you wish to have happen, because that shit comes through. I mean, it, it really does. Like visualize visualization is a really big part of um, that upper echelon level of performance, for sure. Mm -hmm. So we think, dude, this has been an awesome podcast. Yeah, it's we're like we've been going. we're like two hours and. 15 minutes in two hours and 15 minutes this is your first podcast this is your first podcast ever patty uh you know i did a, a podcast <laughs> this this isn't my cherry popping uh i did one a couple of months ago that was my first one cool. and the only one prior to this and it was a, a podcast for war stories and they did like a series on our deployment to Sangin. And so I just jumped in there for an episode of that. Nice, nice. What, what, what's the name of the podcast so that I can listen to it and maybe our, our listeners? Uh, it's called War Stories. I can't remember the name of the guy that runs it. Okay. Uh, but it's, uh, I think the guy has a website that cool. links up to his podcast. And they did a whole series on our singing deployment. Um, they did, you know, one or two episodes dedicated to Claudio Patino IV, who was in our platoon, who was KIA. Um, it's, it's a pretty good podcast nice. to listen to. Um, you know, we got some officers in there, and so there's a lot of, like, military lingo that's pretty heavy on that, but you, know, you can get past that. It's it's kind of interesting to go back through and listen to that chapter of my life from other people's perspectives, you yeah. know, yeah. And, and what they saw going on while we were doing our thing. So a uh, question I asked Kalen when was this when I asked you how many li how many lives do you think you've lived since oh, Iraq? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, Patty, how many lives do you think you've lived since since leaving the Marine Corps? Oh, gosh. 
That's a funny question. Uh, how many lives do you do you mean that in the sense of like just where you've like you've elevated reinvented yourself reinvented yourself yeah. right like you know how many different because you 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 clearly I don't identify as a as a as a sniper and what I'm and I say that because like that that, that wasn't the pinnacle of your life at all you use the fact that you're a sniper to elevate who you are and I mean that in the utmost sincerity because you don't wear it on your sleeve and that's, yeah, why, I, that's, that's one of the things I, I enjoy hanging out with you right I would say you know uh, shoot other than one of the guys that I work with on the fire department he's uh, a guy that I contracted with and so uh, you know he knows my background and then I think he's probably talked to other people and talked to other people and talked to other people and that's how they've gotten to know about that, but I don't introduce myself yeah, ever, right. you know, like, hey, you know, I was a Marine Scout sniper or anything like that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of douchey, actually. It's super douchey. Uh, <laughs> but there's, but we know people out there that do it. Yeah, absolutely. There are people that do do it. Um, and, you know, that's, those people are not students, you know. Uh, I, I think those are, those are people that uh, believe they're, they're, they've reached pinnacle and, uh, that's where they're at. You know, when when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I remember, uh, you know, our, our sergeant major was really not happy because there weren't any scout snipers that were re-enlisting. And that's a whole other side of the story. But uh, I remember him having our platoon in a meeting and saying like, hey, why aren't you guys re-enlisting? What are you going to do? And he goes around to each, each one of the hogs and these guys are like, I'm going to go contract. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go work for the family business. I'm going to go contract, you know, all these different answers and, you know, a lot of college responses. And, uh, he basically was like, you guys are going to get out of the Marine Corps. You're going to be fucking whitewashing fences. You're going to be hating life. And, you know, basically you can't sustain without this. And actually, you know, there's, Sounds like I mean, a pretty typical sergeant major. Yeah, so you guys are, are probably familiar with some of the guys from my platoon. They've gone off and done some really fantastic things. And I kind of had that mentality when I got out of the Marine Corps. Like, you know, you're not going to tell me what I can't do. Uh, you're going to tell me I can't go to school. I'm going to go get a fucking master's degree. If you're going to tell me I can't contract, I'm going to go contract. And then I'm going to see my first sergeant while I'm overseas and note that he's making $200 a day less than me because of his billet, fucker. <laughs> and then, you know... How do you like me now? <laughs> I'm going to pursue whatever it is that's going to make me and my family happy. You know, if, if you ask me how many lives I've lived since I've gotten out of the Marine Corps, you know, I kind of... I, I, I think of that as, like, phases. Yep. Um, you know, generally, whatever I put myself into, I put all of myself into it. So... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I worked as a contractor, uh, that was life for me. Yeah. When I worked in law enforcement, that was life for me. And, and I think I learned a pretty important lesson while I worked law enforcement because, you know, I was, I was a guy that would take calls on the weekend and be like, all right, I'm going to go throw my vest on and go out and nab this guy. And uh, I did not have a good barrier between my work life and my family life. Like anytime work came into play, like I was gone. I'd go out and I'd do it. And so, 
experiencing that was a big deal for me to where, you know, I realized that there are certain things that got to come first. And, you know, the whole reason I left contracting was to spend more time with my family. So why am I going to come back here and work in a law enforcement job and then, you know, pick up and take off, you know, halfway through dinner uh, when that was what I was trying to get away from in the first place. So uh, I feel right now like I've, I've set a pretty good border and I patrol that border constantly, making sure that my my work life and my family life were separated. And uh, that definitely helps keep me in good headspace, you know. Uh, if, if you were to ask me how many lives I've lived, shit, you gotta be at least four or five, man, cool. That's yeah. that. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, dude. And, and man, uh, it, it shows. Uh, like I said, man, it, and I mean this is as sincere as that. You've got a beautiful family. Uh, I I admire you. I look up to you not only as a, a fellow sniper, uh, but as a father uh, as well, and a, and, and a husband. You know, I think Thanks, uh, man. what what you're doing is is, is awesome. You know, and, and as much as we obviously at Modern Day Sniper we talk about guns and long range shooting and stuff like that a big part of modern age cyber is that balance mindfulness right and knowing that in order for us to be the best version of ourselves right we have to have the balance at home yeah. right and I think that you, you've got that and it's it's awesome it's awesome it's always awesome to see other snipers excelling and succeeding mm-hmm. um, in life always so. man absolutely so well, we tie it all up. Yeah, yeah. So, hey guys, if you guys um, have not gone over and checked out uh, the Modern Day Rifleman Network, I strongly suggest you do so. It's growing at a rapid rate. Uh, every day, we're getting new members in there. Lots of great conversations. People are talking about great stuff. And if you're looking to get away from uh, you know the lameness of social media, um, you can go there and you can communicate with people that are like-minded and, and get your questions answered. So uh, check out moderndayrifleman.com. And we've got some more classes coming up it's pretty soon. We've got uh, boat spaces in our Cody, Wyoming classes with Phil coming up in May. We've got a got sick-ass our- venue uh, that, what up? Yeah. that um, yeah, is going to be a one-of-a-kind venue, just like the venue that we're shooting today. Uh, no man-made props. You're shooting all natural terrain. So if you're in the Wyoming area or you just want to have a good a field shooting good, experience, yeah, good field shooting experience. Check out our Cody classes in May. That's like the second week uh, of May. We've got a 101 and 201 uh, out there, and then Kalen's got a positional clinic and a wind clinic on Yakima this month. Strongly advised, guys. Wind, wind in eastern Washington in springtime is is pretty gnarly, and our range is extremely uh, well positioned to capitalize on those winds. So, if you're looking to get some training on wind, um, we have boat spaces in that course. Come on out and do that. We also have our uh, backcountry hunter course that's coming up in um, June. The June. So. Um, We've got some snowpack issue to worry about, but we're going to reschedule the second June class, uh, hopefully for later in the month. And that's going to just depend on Luke's guiding schedule and, and whether or not he's going to be here in, in uh, the United States to do it. So, uh, in person classes, yeah. Uh, let's talk uh, master class, online master classes. We got so some, we got some online master classes uh, coming. Guys, keep your calendars. Check your calendars. About May timeframe is when we want to release it, but I will be uh, doing a, a positional master class 
for our online uh, training. This is completely separate from the subscription service. This is a no, no shit, just like all the other uh, online courses that uh, we've done so far, um, a master class where it just takes you from, from start to finish. Um, but uh, not trying to be too sales pitchy here, but in, in order for that one to really make sense, you need to make sure that you have watched or done the fundamentals of marketing yeah, because really I'm going to be I'm going to be taking that information from what you learned at fundamentals of marketing and applying those things into the fundamental or the positional class. Yeah. And then once I re once we release that, uh, uh, Kalen's got a sick ass tripod course uh, that we're going to do. You know, you guys have been asking and we've listened, so that that is what is coming up in terms of online master classes. Uh, and uh, we're going to crack the seal on Fieldcraft. Yep. Mr. Cody's going to crack the seal on Fieldcraft and you guys are just going to be freaking blown away. Um, yeah. We got a pretty cool year coming for, for uh, materials. So, um, guys, thanks, guys, appreciate it. Uh, Patty, dude, thanks again for um, not only joining us on this podcast, shooting with us, but also letting us into your home, man. It, uh, we truly feel welcomed. And Anytime, fellas. Appreciate Anytime. it. It was, it was awesome. You. Hey, guys, if you guys found value in this, uh, we, we ask that you share it with a friend, share it with a buddy that you want to get into long range, or maybe that your buddy has never heard of us. And um, again, sorry for the delay, but uh, hopefully this two and a half hour podcast was definitely well worth the wait. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I can't believe it. It was two and a half hours. Yeah, it was hours. two and a half hours, man. It's crazy. Um, it's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, we will see you guys in the next podcast. You guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Rad.